be on the dugout. Lace them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Do it for your teammates, do it for the fan. Do it for your city, true ballers understand. You gotta work together, you gotta find a way. Put your body on the line and make that play. Be on the dugout. Lace them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the base. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Oh, get a on a very springful first uh, Friday of spring here in New Zealand. This is episode number 21 on Beyond the Dugout. I'm Jason Gervies, aka Chopper. With me as ever, gotta say, two Jim Beams deep, it's Damien Collins. <laughs> Whoa, threw me under the bus like that. It's just gone 12 30 <laughs> on a Friday afternoon and the sun is beaming into the office. I've just spent the last three hours editing marty grant's uh episode 21 and uh mate it's a glorious day rock 2000s on in the background happy days happy days happy days indeed third uh podcast under covid restrictions under the lockdown you guys are back to three we're still in four congratulations to you thanks buddy i'm off off, off to, uh, after this uh once we get it all edited and clipped away off to kfc <laughs> you want anything hey dude i heard kfc and gisman was closed because someone had a scrap and broke the place up. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> What's up with that? Just because you can't have it for like, was that like a week and a half or something, right? Oh, yeah, what? I know, right? Um, Potty Door, they set up the road cones and all the traffic management the night before because they thought it was going to be absolute bonkers uh, the day off. But apparently it wasn't. To all accounts, what I've heard is no one really got the... Got the um, the miss of the of last time you know i remember yeah. that first day <laughs> there were lines around the block for some people but this time we didn't miss the 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 fast foods as much in wellington uh, we'll no. see what happens when auckland opens back up eh, mate <laughs> i'd say well, that's one of the things i enjoy about lockdown uh, apart from the board games and the walks and yeah. stuff um is food yeah, to be man. fair, and I like my food, but you get to try all sorts of different types of food. You get to you know jump in the kitchen a bit more than you normally would, and um, I quite enjoy it. I, I always uh, enjoy cooking, but I hate cooking to a time frame. So if I have time to to go all out and get all the ingredients and and take my time doing it and follow a recipe because I'm I'm not really that guy that will chuck this that, and the other thing in and and hope for the best. Um, but yeah, I mean having time. I've I've been the guinea pig. I've been having some. Um, uh, famous Melissa Middleton's baking, so um, no, it's been enjoyable in my house. I uh, haven't put on any weight, which is uh, awesome because it goes to show that the metabolism's still there. Shot Mel, one for feeding him and two keeping the weight off. That a girl. All right, well, let's hey, mate. Last week, Donny Hale's episode, gotta say, Hall of Famer, uh, Donny Hale's episode last week. <laughs> the reaction before it and to it and after it has been simply awesome. May it, it really, um, there's moments, like not that we do this for credit or anything like that, but there are moments where sometimes you just need that tap on the shoulder and saying, you're doing a bloody good job, you know what I mean? And Donnie said it and everybody else has reached out and said it and it's not about us, eh? it's never been about us. We, we're just fans of the game that are just getting these stories out of the legends. But the input, the interaction, everybody uh, just loved that we had Donnie Hale as his episode 20 and I tell you, nobody more than us, man. We loved it, absolutely loved it. Yeah, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head right there, Damien. Um, it's the treat. The treat is ours, 100%. You know, these legends and the way they tell their story, but, you know, being able to try and give them that platform as well, uh, I think it's been the most rewarding thing um, uh, that I've felt anyway, that's for sure. 
Yeah, mate. I mean, it's just like having, uh, as Donnie said, it's just like having one of those uh, chats in the beer tents, hey. And we've had plenty of them over the years, and it was it was very cool to um and get the man in and get him relaxed and and have his have his very good mates and Roman Gabriel and Nathan Nukunuku and his his partner in crime for so long, um, Cena Hunkin. So it was it was just just special. I, it was special to be a part of it. It was special to sit back and enjoy the moment as it was happening. It was special to sit back and edit it afterwards. I, I just loved everything about last week's episode. Well, I mean, here's an idea. How about that sometime this summer, we get together all of our uh, guests that we've had, uh, once they can come to it, say we do it at the Warra Sports Bar or something, and throw a big party. Mate, I love that. We can do yes. a podcast from there that night and get them all coming bit by bit, and uh, hopefully Rebecca Bromhead drinks the most. That would be good. <laughs> Rebecca? Is she, is she the one that we have to worry about drinking the most? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably Kyla, to be fair. But, <laughs> nah, but the after, either way, man. Kyla would have the after idea. party, wouldn't she? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So now there you go. There's an idea for the summer. Oh, uh, yes. Looking forward to that. Hey, took a tell what I've been looking forward to all the way since April, and that is the Dodgers being the top <laughs> of the MLB for their division. They finally did that yesterday. Oh, my God. They beat uh, – um, I can't even remember who we were playing now, but we won yesterday. San Francisco lost to Milwaukee, completed it. Dodgers uh, at the top. San Francisco won today, so they're all drawn up. So eventually, LA back to the top with their star-studded lineup. Um, the rest of baseball does look pretty good. Uh, we are in the last month of the regular season. There's a couple of days afterwards, but just the last month, and it's normally the, it's the home run straight. So um, it's always where things start to get interesting. Well, I'm happy that you're happy, mate. The Dodgers are up there. I guess. I guess I've only got a little bit left of my Indians, or are they already out? I I don't even pay attention. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I just I just wait. I just wait for you to inform me, hey, mate. Uh, no last month of the Indians, I guess, until the the Guardians. Crazy. Yeah, that's right. The Guardians of your heart, my friend. No, I love an underdog, mate. Love an underdog. Yeah, yeah, you without a doubt. So lots of good stuff happening in Major League Baseball. Plenty more to come this week. I'm sure you'll tune in with with not a lot of um, sport going on. But there is one sport that uh, really captured us this week, the, the Paralympics in Tokyo. Well, multiple sports, but definitely um, I, I'm guessing the one that stood up the most because she's her name is synonymous with our Paralympians um, that will we are the fern is um, Sophie Pascoe. I'm guessing that's uh, who you're meaning. Well, she's definitely one of the stars this week, isn't she? Mate. She's been outstanding. I mean, for such a long period of time. You can see she's coming to the end of her career. But what a legend. Well, I think it's 11 golds now. Um, I know earlier today she had her uh, an, her 20th, I think it was her 20th final, and it was the first time she hasn't placed, hasn't won a medal in the finals, so either gold, silver, or bronze. So don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that um, she could have could have reached 20 today. I don't know if it's all done for her. I'll have to check, but um, what a legend. What a legend. Mate, from a young girl, two and a half years old, dad um, rolls over her with a ride on lawnmower, and that causes the incident to her leg, to now being multiple Olympic champion and arguably the best Olympian New Zealand's ever produced. And now kids just blame their parents for everything. No, just Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, though, that, that one she won this week, um, it was like in the last stroke, and she said in the last 
lap of the pool. It was like the, the uh, individual medley, that's right. Last lap of the pool, she said she was feeling pain from the top to the bottom. Her whole body was in pain. And her last, I can't remember how many metres she said it was, she couldn't even feel the strokes. That wow. She was that numb uh, type thing. She comes out of the pool. We can see that she's gasping. The last time I saw a performance like that actually was Sarah Olmer back in 2004 when she won gold in the cycling, if you remember, just kind of collapsed. They'd left everything out on the track, or in this yeah. case, in the pool. Yeah, mate. Um, it, yeah, she like that. It's that thing, leave everything out on the field, eh? And she literally did, came out, collapse. What, she had to be cut out of her suit or something didn't she to to help her breathe so yeah crazy you see these moments where they just give it everything there was a walker a few years ago that almost got to the finish line and just collapsed couldn't even finish the race he was a kiwi boy um craig walker no i don't know but um yeah mate it's just it shows what it means to these athletes um to work it's not just that that event eh? that's that's a lifetime to get to that moment so um to give everything and, and still come out with the gold Fair play to her. Hope she remembers it. Yeah, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Okay, but time for a bet today, uh, this week. Of course, a big matchup this week. They're going for uh, 10th, 11th, or 12th, somewhere on the table there. The Warriors are taking all the Titans. <laughs> no chance of making the playoffs, but they are right next to each other in the um, um, in the ladder. They take <laughs> on each other on Sunday at 4 p.m. What's the wager? What do you tell me, mate? I've, I've, I haven't given a, given up on the faith, but um, I have zoned out for the moment. I tell you, the best thing about the Warriors right now is we're in lockdown. That's why they're still getting some support. Otherwise, dude, whatever else is on TV will be getting watched right now, poor oh, buggers. But uh, yeah, either way, you can't sit on the fence. Who are you taking, Warriors or, or the Gold Coast? Oh, Titans? always Warriors. I wear my onesie yeah. and watch the game. Fantastic. That means I get to take the Titans. I'm looking forward to that on Sunday, 4 o'clock. Game is on. Uh, wasn't the last time we had a wager I won? So we'll see. We'll see what Are you trying to go is. double or nothing? Oh, wait a minute. There was Didn't a wager, out? remember? It was the NBL final. You owe us dinner. I do. Yes. All so right. I'll, I'll still take the you, Warriors. <laughs> I'll still take the Warriors. Okay, sweet. Are we going double well. or nothing, though? Oh, yeah. might have to tell Mel. She'll be disappointed we don't get a free dinner. Uh, yeah, nah, let's go. Dinner- let's go. Yeah, that dinner <laughs> comes with an invite to come to Auckland, so she's probably never going to cash in on it. <laughs> she oh, still wants goodness. the dome as well, mate. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, sweet ass. Okay, so your first child naming uh, is the wager for this one. Sunday, 4 o'clock, Warriors take I on. I told you, Sunday. I'm not naming my kid Chopper. <laughs> there you go. What if it's a girl? Anyway, chopper it. Mate, this week uh, we were blessed last week with a, a, a Hall of Famer legend. Well, oh, this good. week, and mate, we just take it to another level. We sure do, man. From a Hall of Fame pitcher with Jim Warner, started off his career with and ended up in the Hall of Fame uh, with Donnie Hale, and now we're back to another pitcher, Marty Grant. Wow, you got it, buddy. Wow, all the way from uh, Nelson. Arguably uh, one of uh, the very, very best. Uh, and I tell you what, if if, he, if you don't rate him as one of the very best, he's definitely in that conversation. That's for, that's for sure. He's had the most innings pitched by any New Zealand pitcher, most wins, most strikeouts by percentage. What else do you need to say? Well, you've just said the most, the most innings pitched, the most, all that, uh, and an ERA under one. Oof, not too bad. 
not bad at all. Man, he has won everything to dude domestically, overseas. His list is just so long, uh, the credentials that uh, Marty Grant has achieved. Of course, the crowning moment for him had to be the no-hitter in 2000 against uh, Japan uh, for the World Cup gold medal. Absolutely special moment. He talks He talks all about this. He talks all about other moments. And, and um, you would think that moment would be the big one, but it's not actually the big one. So listen in to find out what the big one was for him. One of the things you'll get to find out in this uh, episode is how special a man he is to Damien. And he tends to wear, and he's been known to do this, wear his emotions on his sleeve. Um. I'm definitely one of those guys, mate. I always have been. I I, I have no issues of tearing up and showing my emotions and uh, getting to know uh, Marty Grant over, what, three hours we, we had him for. Um, yes, I, I, I definitely feel like I've got a soulmate now. <laughs> yeah, very, very impressive. Just touches your narco or your heart uh, when he shows his emotions like that. Marty Grant, let's get to it. Let's go. Well, Tor, the man in the middle for such a long time for the Golden Homes Black Sox. It's without a doubt one of the biggest privileges we've had here. Joining us uh, on Beyond the Dugger is the legend himself. Three World Cup gold medals, three ASA titles, two, uh, so one IC title, but he's been All-American a couple of times as well. Boy, is there anything this guy has not done? I tell you what, Ehoa, welcome to Beyond the Dugger, Marty Grant. Thanks, Chopper and Damien. Uh, it's a pleasure. Kia ora, Marty. Thank you for joining us. Marty, man, I, uh, I've been, I know we've talked a little bit about it and I wanted to do this in person, of course, with the way things are at the moment. We thought, let's get into it with you, uh, but I, I've been waiting uh, for the moment to, to interview you in person because your career uh, that I got to watch growing up and playing a little bit against you as well was one of those ones where we were here and you were just there, bro, to watch, and it was uh, simply a pleasure to watch every part of your game. Hey, thanks, Chopper, and um, uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here and um, speak with you now. I guess in this uh, situation with all of us here in New Zealand in lockdown, um, I guess it's given us a bit of spare time. I could be at work eh, uh, on the tools, but I'm not. I've got time to be here and, and share in the uh, uh, my story and. Um, yeah, I, I hope that uh, hope that we can get across the the message that uh, shows that uh, even a, a guy that's come from uh, a little little town, New Zealand, can come out and have a crack at, at a sport and give it his best and do do all right. Do all right indeed. Yeah, let's start on the right way here. More here, Queerbo. Where are you from? So I was born in um, Whakatū uh, from Nelson, and my uh, father is Nāti Palo. He's from the East Coast, and he came down to live here and met my lovely mother, who is Rangatāne from the Marlborough Sounds, and they mm-hmm. had uh, four boys, four, four of us, and I uh, was brought up in a little town outside of uh, just south of Nelson called Wakefield. That's uh, uh, my roots, and... Uh, yeah, yeah, we've. Uh, I'm back living here in, in Nelson now uh, after a 10-year hiatus in the middle of my life and career, and so, yeah, this is home. What a beautiful place to call home to. Mati Parau, no wonder, eh? Magic town. Um, mate, softball, 
kind of been anything you were involved with. You, you got four brothers there, no, Ricky. Um, what was like life growing up in the Grant Fano? So we, um, my father was uh, 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 a person, an outdoorsman. He uh, he he was a hunter and a hunter and a gatherer, and um, he encouraged us to be involved in sport and to get outside. And so we lived in a, a rural Nelson, and where I used to uh, clean the pig uh, dog kennels out and do all that sort of stuff. We spent time on the river, eeling. And we used to go into the bush doing possuming, and and I, I wasn't very good at that sort of stuff, chopper. And so, uh, as soon as I could, I tried to find a sport that would occupy me through the weekends. And so, I, in the little uh, village that we lived in, there was a tennis club, and that was it. Uh, and so, I tried to go had to go at tennis as a young age, and then um, we, uh, uh, as a family, were invited by the school, local school teacher to uh, join a softball team. Uh, he. Uh, he was a softball player from Hamilton. His name was Jeff Moore, and he'd moved to the to Wakefield to teach. And uh, he he started up a softball team, and we were uh, I was about five or six. My Rick was uh, the oldest; he's about four years older than me. And um, yeah, we had a little softball team, and we didn't have uniforms, and we used to play against this other school in. Um, in Nelson, and they were called Stoke School, and we had some of our cousins in there. And um, yeah. at the beginning of our fledging uh, softball careers, these uh, these two teams used to play against each other. And I think he did it to try and keep us out of trouble. Actually, the teacher, I don't think he saw any talent in us, but he, he thought that keep uh, at least nine or ten of us busy <laughs> during the week. And he taught us how to throw and catch and hit a ball. And uh, yeah, yeah. And that's where it started. And we had a great time. It was uh, challenging to be amongst four boys. I was the third uh, of the yep. four. And, um, yeah, I, I wanted to be like my big brothers and hang out with them. Uh, and it, it was, you know, we did whatever we could to keep ourselves busy. Um, you talk about Ricky as a few years older than you. He was a pitcher too, man. Was it always a, a, a fight to get onto the mound between the two of you? So, um, when we first started playing, he used to make me catch him. So I, I was uh, I was the catcher, and we used to train. And he'd take me out in the backyard of our my, our house, and he used to make me catch. And I was I think I was about six, and he he was quite a strong uh, young man in those days, and he used to throw it really hard. And if I didn't catch the ball, it used to get past me, and then go into the old man's garden and break the tomato plants. And so. <laughs> I used to have to make sure I was protecting the garden, and, and I thought, she was as soon as I can switch these roles around or become a pitcher myself and get some other clown to have to catch, then I, I'm going to do it. So we were, we were competing uh, uh, at an early age, not not because I wanted to be better, I just didn't want to have to catch, and it was, uh, it was like that, eh? and um, we ended up playing against each other and together a, a few years later. Later, as we got older, and um, competition was was fierce amongst them. I, I wanted to be uh, be like him. I wanted to be able to get in and play. And when he moved to Wellington, uh, as I think a seventeen and eighteen year old, he got involved in the Wellington competition, and that inspired me to want to get better too. Mean growing up in a small town, trying to make representative teams and stuff. What was that like? Yeah, yeah. So we uh, we had. Uh, a pretty good little softball community here in Nelson, and 
they used to bring us in and uh, we used to play in in the Nelson City by the beach actually it was a cool place to be and and so it was fun we'd go in there and you'd hang out there in the Saturday mornings as an intermediate team or uh, you know like 11 or 12 years old and then you'd stick around and you'd watch the older guys playing you'd go for a swim at the beach and come back and watch and play and that's what our Saturdays used to be involved and so I, I enjoyed that and it was it was a lot of fun and my mother was playing in her social women's team and it was it was it was a nice little cool community and when we wanted to get away to the tournaments um we, we weren't that successful eh? we, we'd still seen teams so Nelson would go to the South Island tournament and play yep. used to have a um, a top of the south tournament which involved Marlborough uh, Nelson Buller in the West Coast we used to play for a thing called the Seddon Shield. It was quite a competitive little environment, but it was it was about wanting to see how good we were. And I I still remember um, we had a school exchange with uh, a very good school from the Hutt Valley called Titer Intermediate. Titer used to bring their intermediate team down to um, play Waimea Intermediate, where I went to school and. I remember I was in Form 2. We thought we were a pretty good softball team in those days and we used to beat a lot of the local schools. And then Taita turned up with a couple of guys by the name of Daryl Marino and uh, Mark Thompson. And this is from the Thompson family from the Hutt Valley. And I remember oh, getting beaten 14 to nothing. I think it went for three innings. They, they beat us. And I thought, shivers. Um Oh, this is how you meant to play. <laughs> it was a, it was a, a lesson, and, and I thought, crikey, these guys are good. And and then yeah, I think it was two years later, I got an opportunity to go to the Hutt Valley and play in an under fourteen tournament, and we were still sending teams away. And I I, I went and yeah, got a taste of that um, Hutt Valley softball, the home of softball, you know, and it was a it was a great lesson. But those guys uh, played it, played real softball, and we were just uh, we were just amateurs down here in, in little old Nelson. Wicked, mate. Um, coming through the grades in those early days, um, who were some of the instrumental people or, or teammates or coaches that you had in that time around Nelson? So we had um, a couple of really good uh, coaches here. Um, the Dolish family were based in Nelson and. Uh, wow. if you know that name, uh, Ed Dolish was at the time was the the women's national coach for New mm-hmm. Zealand, so he coached the White Sox, and he had um, also been involved, I think, with the with the New Zealand men's team in their '76 World Series campaign in Hutt Valley. So we had some um, really good coaching. I was uh, personally uh, coached by a, a gentleman by the name of Pity Marakatia. He um, he was an old, uh, an old. Uh, he's from the Horafanua. You know I was that gonna name. I going to say, is that the? Yeah, yep. yeah. Be very familiar with that name. So him and a guy named Tom Hurunui, they moved to Nelson uh, as young men, and they came down here and they bought um, their softball schools and they played locally. And Pity um, saw me playing as a young a youngster. I think I might have been thirteen, and he watched me play and. He said, oh, look, I think you might be quite good at pitching. Um, so, so I'm going um, to get you to train to be a, a softball pitcher. And I was at my uh, final year at, at college at high school. It was a year 
13 or a cement former. And I was playing rugby and I was playing basketball. And then I, I, he took me to a gym. I'd never done any tr- uh, training before. And he said, oh, we're going to go and do this training a couple of days of the week, six o'clock in the morning. And he took me to a gym. It was actually a guy's house. And we went out to his garage and he um, taught me how to lift weights and taught me how to stretch and do all this stuff. And I he said, I'm going to make you into a pitcher. And so the next year I tried to become a pitcher. I was usually playing in the outfield. Um, uh, I was a centre fielder and quite a good hitter and I ended up pitching and had a little bit of success um, mm-hmm. as a pitcher uh, but he was a huge influence because he believed in me and he, he did what he could and um, he was really, really strong-willed man and he um, he took us to the under-18s and Levin, his home, old hometown and I did all right. did all right as a pitcher at the under-18s. I I think we finished about seventh or eighth, and we did all right. But, um, yeah, he was the first guy, and there was a number of others after that. But he was the most influential at a young age. He's, he saw some skill and talent in me and tried to nurture it. And as a young 17-year-old that thought I could be uh, an all-black, um, he was he was challenging me to, to, to choose softball as a, as a, a road to take. Yeah. Talk about that, uh, Marty. Uh, there was also a moment in your life uh, coming '85 in Christchurch uh, where softball kind of changed a little bit in your mindset. Yeah, so I moved to Christchurch in, in 1980, uh, early 1985, to um, play rugby. I'd um, been selected in the New Zealand uh, under 18 training squad, and I was a prospective. Uh, midfielder or fullback and uh, went to a training camp at Lincoln College mm-hmm. uh, and uh, went down there and I ended up uh, meeting up with um, some old family friends, the Bashup brothers. So I was uh, friends with Graham and Stephen Bashup, uh, who you would have heard of that came through to become quite good rugby players. And <laughs> I ended up moving there to play rugby and uh, I went to uh, their club and play with them. But then I was at a, at the, the Black Sox were touring through New Zealand after winning the 84 World Championships and they came and played in Christchurch and I went to watch them play. Um, it was the first time I'd seen them play in person. And yeah, they um, they were, it was an outstanding thing to watch. I, I, I knew they were world champions and I'd, I wanted to see what, what made them different and I was playing club softball also in Christchurch, and they said, uh, um, I looked, watched, and I went to the park and, and saw guys like Steve Jackson, Paul McGann. Uh, I think Chubb was in that squad as the third pitcher. Um, there were Murray McLean, Eddie Colassi, Sorensen, uh, Daryl Stratford, who was a Nelsonian that had made the, that uh, won that world championship in those days, who mm-hmm. I played alongside back here in Nelson, was in that team. So it was inspiring stuff. And I thought, sure, those guys are, I want to be like them. I want to uh, see how good I can be too. And um, yeah, that was, a, uh, I guess, a defining moment in my career where I thought, uh, what was I going to do? Do I want to be like that or do I want to want to be an all black? Always these questions you ask yourself when you're a young sportsman, I guess. But yeah, had had some desire and being from a, a family like mine that 
if you're going to do something, do it right. This is a lesson I was taught to do it to the best of your ability when you, when I was a youngster at a, anything was possible, Chopper. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that started the fire in your belly. Yeah, it did. It did. And um, uh, it uh, it was great to, to see them in person and realise that they're just normal human beings just like yourself, two arms, two legs, and they're not, the, they're not the, these gods that you think you worship from afar. So it was, yeah, it uh, made things a little bit more realistic and, and uh, yeah, created a, a, a little bit of the drive. What did you do about it? So, um, so that year, I um, the end of uh, the '96, sorry, 1986 season, um, I decided to retire from my rugby career, and I took up an opportunity to travel and play softball in Prescott, Arizona. Uh, that was my first year. I was 20 years old, and, and I had a team called the Prescott Mustangs that I was going to join up in April of 1986, so I um, took uh, six months leave from my job that I was doing in Christchurch and got on the plane and went to uh, Prescott, Arizona to pitch and pitch solely. I was going to, that was my job, Uh, that was what my coaches from Christchurch and I'd uh, had two very influential coaches from Christchurch, Mr. Brian Mountford and Mark McFarlane. Mark McFarlane, you're probably familiar with. He's a yeah. very accomplished uh, umpire, but back in those days, he was a, a, a hitter, and a, a, he was my teammate in Christchurch. And Brian Mountford was a ex-New Zealand catcher for the Black Sox. He was in the 76 squad and had been in the team for a number of years at either side of that World Series. So... They uh, they sent me to Arizona. Uh, they were bringing out uh, pitches from Canada to try and fill their pitching stocks before that, and they said, yeah. uh, no, "We're going to send a, we're going to send you to Arizona, Martin. Come back and be our pitcher." So, here that was my uh, start of my uh, North American um, adventures, and I went over and played in a. a there's a city league, and, and we played Tuesdays and Thursday nights, and then on the weekends we'd uh, would travel around Arizona playing in what they call a travel league, and so you'd play uh, different weekends. I think there were six weekends we played, and you'd play five or six games each weekend, and and there was two pitchers in our squad. There was myself and oh, oh sorry, there was three. There was myself. And there was a, a guy by the name of Jerry Wells who was uh, did one of about three ISCs, I think, with a team out of Arizona, and he was a MVP ISC pitcher about three or four times. He was in his sixties. He was pitching with me. I was twenty, and there was another guy that was the third string. So we had a very uh, diverse uh, makeup of our pitching staff, and I learned a lot from Jerry Wells that year. Uh, it was an interesting thing, and it, and it gave me the bug because I, I wanted to try and get to, uh, get myself some innings under my belt and see if I was any good at this pitching. And it, it didn't turn up the first year in America, Chopper. I, I didn't do as well as I could, and and didn't do as well as I thought I could. Uh, but yeah, I guess good things take time, and I had to be patient. What were some of those key learnings you were saying you were learning in those first couple of years? 
Well, so the most memorable thing was that uh, we were playing in one game against uh, one of the top teams and in, in, uh, I think they were called the Phoenicians out of Phoenix. And uh, I was young and um, it was hot in Arizona and we were playing in this evening game and it was really, really humid and uh, I was getting really sweaty and I was couldn't hold on to the ball and I started, um, started the ball kept slipping out of my hand. I couldn't get the grip right and I was trying to use rosin anyway. I started throwing these balls in a row, and the coach started counting the, the balls in a row, and I think I got up to four or five or five in a row, six in a row, and he kept yelling it out and yelling to his dugout saying, eight in a row, nine in a row. Anyway, I threw 14 balls in a row and um, walked a small village. It was it was embarrassing, and they, the guys um, said, you got to stop listening to him, mate. But I, I was listening to the coach instead of concentrating on my job. Well, the next day, I got back to the game. We got beat that night. I got back to the park and I turned up and um, someone had taken my uh, my cap, my game cap, and they'd take these um, cardboard uh, rabbit ears onto the, my hat uh, and they'd stuck it in the dugout. So I walked in and put my cap on and there were these rabbit ears and I said, Marty, you've got to get rid of those rabbit ears. You can't be listening to what's going on around you, you've got to focus on your job. And so that was a major learning uh, in a fun way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just get on with your job and concentrate. So another, one of those, and you've got to be fit. And I learned about um, that uh, they wouldn't let me hit. So I was a hitter too, Chopper, I thought. And so they, they uh, that was the first time in my young softball career where they just said, you're going to pitch you're a Kiwi pitcher, you didn't come over here to hit, and so they took the bat out of my yeah. hands. So the, the year before, I'd made the New Zealand Colts as a as a hitter. I think I was the second top hitter in the New Zealand Colts, but they um, said, no, you're done hitting, Mr. Grant, you're, and you're not going to play anywhere in the field, you'll just pitch for us, and that was it. So, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, it was uh, about uh, learning your role and, and the responsibilities. Yep. Okay, I got two things on that. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, right, right towards the end of your career, you were playing a tournament for um, for Waitakere Bears. We were up at the uh, at the Vic Goose, and um, you were pitching for them, but you were also hitting. And we were playing you, Northgate versus Waitakere, and you were walking up to the batter's box, and I was like, what the hell? I had never, ever seen you having that bat. And I said to you as you were walking to home plate, I was like, which side of the plate do you stand on? <laughs> and then I can't remember what you said to me, but you said something was funny. And then, fuck, what happened? Boom. Hits a line drives like a single or double or something like that. And I was like, no way. Yeah, it's interesting, Chopper. I, um, uh, I, uh, I, I batted right-handed when I was a youngster. And then I came, uh, I went through 10 years where I uh, didn't bat, right? So I was playing at national level international level and I didn't get to bat so um, I started playing again in Nelson and, and I, I decided to turn around and learn how to hit left handed so I taught myself how to hit switch hit it and um, that was when I was about 30 actually I, I decided to become a left handed hitter and um, I did it because I wanted to see how difficult it was uh, and it took me a little while but yeah I, I, I taught myself how to switch hit uh, chopper and um, more disciplined on the left hand side, uh, a little bit more power yeah. on the right. That was about it. That was that's my mo as far as hitting goes. But loved it. But yeah, um, you know, it's like I said, I went 
10 years or I didn't have an app back. So it was, um, it was something, I was like starting fresh. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, the other one, I'm going to play a video for you here. It's a little later in your career. It's 2009. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm actually thinking it's Diamond 2 against Botswana. Uh, but would you just watch this video and then tell us how do you stay composed in that situation with so much noise? Kind of touched on a little bit. You were leaning that in the earlier years uh, over in the ISCs. <laughs> That's an interesting little um, event. That one we uh, we were playing against the Botswanans that that day, uh, and it was uh, it was right in the middle of the day. It was hot, and they started singing. And you know what? This is the funny, funny thing about it was that in our in our lineup on on that day was was a few guys that thought they had some rhythm and some and they liked music, you know. And we got Brad on one side, and we got Jazzer. Jared Martin on the other side. You got knocks <laughs> up the middle, and we're all trying trying to keep ourselves still, not groove, because we wanted to get into it with them. We wanted to dance with them, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're all laughing and Patty's out the back. But we were we were we were enjoying it. It was so much fun. I mean that that's a little bit different to getting um, a, a crowd yeah. riding you know, like they're trying to, to put you off or distract you. Those guys are just trying to have some fun. And, and if, you know, if, if the New Zealand Black Sox were allowed to sing Waiata in the dugout and start dancing and doing what we, the Haka Boogie, we, we would have. But I don't think uh, Mike Ball should have liked it back in the day. So we weren't allowed to do it. But, yeah, um, the boys wanted to dance. But, but we're saying, hang on, concentrate. We just got to get it, get this game over with. Get your job done. We'll get out of here and, and we'll have our own chance to be together and celebrate. And so, yeah, yeah, interesting times. Um, uh but a great crowd to do it with her. Yeah. I noticed in that video, not once did your head uh, move from focusing on your catcher. Yeah, uh, message when we looked down then back to your catcher, not once did you look to the side. Did you have the same mentality when you did have that crowd that was getting on you or heckling from the sideline? Yes, I, I, I used to be. I mean, they used to call me the human rain delay at some stages during my career because I was so, uh, I took so long to pitch in between each pitch. But I had a routine, and the routine was about me being able to focus on what I was trying to do. And it started with my breathing, uh, and uh, it was about the amount of steps that I took around to go around the backstop. And it was then about engaging with the catcher and and, and working on that. And, those routines became, I mean, I was in that video, I think I was 43 years old in that video, Chopper, so I was near the, the end of my career, and I had, had to try and also uh, use as little energy as I could to preserve it for what I needed to do. So, yeah, losing focus is just going to take you uh, away from what you're trying to do. And, and so it was a, I guess it was just from experience, but when I, mean, I started doing that at, because I, I learned from watching some of the best pitchers in the game over the years and 
what I saw was them to stay focused and not be distracted by whatever was going on, you know. And so it was a was a learning that you had to take aboard. And when you got it right, it was it was everything was simple. You just had to remind yourself of what you'd done in your training. Marty, you spent 18 years playing in the States uh, and, and, of course, internationally 19 with the Black Sox. Who are some of those pitches that you did learn from or uh, that you did take note of? So uh, my first um, real look at the, the big time as far as pitching was when I was seven years old. I remember this story that a, a team from the Wellington B. Wellington B used to send a team to travel around the country and play against other provinces, and Nelson hosted Wellington B. And then I remember uh, we went to the, the Tahuna Nui Rec, which is down by the beach, and I watched a gentleman by the name of Lauren Algar pitch for Wellington B. And he mm. was the uh, most influential pitcher. I, this man would have been at this time, he would have been probably in his early 20s, and he was a big Hulk of a man, and he was used to throw the ball hard and throw rise balls. And so, I ended up following Lauren through the the years as as he went on to pitch for Wellington Meads and then Hutt Valley and other teams overseas. And then I ended up playing against him. Uh, and when I went to, uh, I think it was my second ISC, played against him in in North America when I was in a team called. Uh, Finley, Ohio, who got to play against him and, and actually got to beat the guy, I think, that season in, in a game. And so I, I, he was a huge influence. Uh, locally, there was a couple of guys by the name of Dennis Dolish and Rab Jemison that were pitchers that pitched here, and they were very accomplished at this level here, at club level and provincial level. And then when you got, got further along, I started trying to um, emulate a couple of them. And there was a couple of guys that I wanted to copy off. And I um, uh, learned a little bit from a guy named uh, uh, Ken Henderson, which you are familiar with. He, yep. he was yeah. uh, very good at teaching pitching when I was new and young. But I, uh, I wanted to see who was the best around the time. And when I was uh, learning, uh, a guy by the name of Jimmy Moore. Now, you'd know Jimmy Moore. He's an American pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had some great ones from from New Zealand uh, with Meredith, with uh, Hurley, Walford, uh, Graham Arnold, uh, and Dawson, and Peter Roberts. There was a whole bunch of them. But um, I, I read up about this guy, Jimmy Moore, who pitched Payne Pack through um, an era, I think it was the mid-'80s, where they – like um, I think he had 52 innings where he hadn't given up a run or something like that and they were like um, and this was at ISC level so he'd had a record where he hadn't given up a run in two ISCs and, and I said well, what I couldn't believe that sort of statistic I thought how does that work he must be able, he, and so I, I watched the guy and I went and watched the guy and he was so deliberate he had all the pitches he had a change up had a rise ball, he had a drop ball, but he was really focused, and I tried to emulate him because I, I I didn't know whether I had the mentality, but I was going to watch the best guys and, and see how they did it. And so he was the guy that I tried to copy. Um, I don't, I, 
it was uh, really really interesting because I also I didn't have the, the what I thought was the natural ability like Chubb or I had the long levers or like Meredith or I had that grit and that grind that Michael White possessed but I, mm-hmm. if I could just do my best to just try and be focused and concentrate so those guys were the influences but Jimmy Moore mainly uh, and um uh, I don't know. I was just just impressed with what he did, and when I watched him play uh, later on in his career, he still had it, and I was I was so impressed by him and and a good bloke too. I eh? uh, didn't get to spend a lot of time with him, but um, yeah, he was a guy that I wanted to be like. Nice, mm. Steve Schultz. Whereabouts was he from? Was he was it um, uh, Blenheim? Yeah, so hey, we've got we've got a bunch of guys in this part of the world that, that came out to be pitchers. Steve Schultz pitched in Blenheim. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had Brendan Keenan that was a pitcher down here as well. He was pitched from Blenheim, and yeah, we've had a few others come out of this part of the country, like um, Nick Hayes, as you'd know, and uh, yeah. Young Sholem, and and yep. and yeah. So there's a this part of the country. Has, has been able to produce some good ones. Very, very much indeed, bud. Very much indeed. Mm. Well, you mentioned some true legends there. Jimmy Moore, uh, I've only just got to really start to learn a bit about his career. And, um, man, what a career. He, he right, he was flamethrower. Just had all the mm. all the movement and pitches required. Mm. And such a strong mind. And uh, that's one of the things that I tried to, to learn from him because I, I needed that at times when I was going through my apprenticeship. Well, you talk about apprenticeship. What do you mean by a pitching apprenticeship? Yeah, so um, it's interesting, eh, because you, you you can come out and you would have had this discussion with some other pitchers as well there about um, having the ability to throw a rise ball and a drop ball and a change up and, and uh, n- not understanding what you're trying to do. Uh, in the younger years, I tried to strike everyone out. I, I thought if I could just throw with velocity and strike everyone out, um, I was going to be successful. And, uh, I, had a, I had a pretty good rise ball chopper, and then what used to happen in, earlier in my career is that rise ball used to fade late in the game or it mm-hmm. fade late in the innings or late in the tournament or even late in the season where I was, was struggling. And I'd, uh, I'd go through some times where I – have a great start of a season here at home and I play all good then you get through to January and you go through that the, the grind of the, the softball summer in, in New Zealand where you play the Guth and the Island Bay Classic and all that stuff and then you get to the club nationals and then you know, um, I'd run out of gas so, or, or I didn't have uh, the same effect on the hitting and it was because I was trying to do the same stuff all the time and I didn't have the, the drop ball or the, the confidence to throw inside, outside properly. Or So learning how to get people out, because that's your job, right? It's, it's to get outs, create outs for your defense and get outs. And so um, you used to think too that you'd get you'd get more interest from teams in North America or your clubs that want to have you because you could strike it, strike people out and it was just like batters that want to hit home runs and you thought strikeouts were the good things. But I, I went through in a, a softball a pitching apprenticeship that lasted 10 years where I was uh, in the Black Sox and made my debut in 1990 and then went through and I filled in and did a lot of games uh, in the in, uh, tours in the States and played a lot of games in New Zealand. Um, we racked up a, a lot of innings 
Um, but I, I didn't really get an opportunity to, to face the big games or get to start in any of the big games. And the big games, I mean the semifinals and the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And and so um, right through to from 1990 when I made my debut and then to 2000, um, I think that was the first time I got a chance to pitch against um, Canada. It was the 2000 World Championships in, in South Africa, and then um, and get a final uh, was and I guess that was the, the the signing off of my apprenticeship, so to speak. Where you uh, said, "Yeah, you're probably now a, a qualified pitcher, Marty." And you know, when you talk about the amount of years you put in, I, I almost thought I deserve a doctorate, but you don't get doctors in pitching, you, know? you just get. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, an apprenticeship. Uh, it was a ten-year one, and and, and and enjoyable all the way through Chopper, but lots yep. of learning and, and about uh, being able to create outs and get outs for your team, which is uh, what I was able to do uh, finally in two thousand and, and through the games that went on to till the end of my career. You sure did it indeed, but um, if I'm just going to cap off the ISCs because we are going to jump into the to the socks quite a bit here, especially that 2000 World Series. Um, you got to play for a number of big teams, and no one bigger and kind of question mark contra- more controversial than Pete Pacelli's uh, Tampa Bay Smokers. Right? What was that environment like? And is that is that boat we saw in that documentary for real? Yeah. So. Um 1995, um, I left Decatur, Illinois, the Decatur Pride, and went and played and signed with the Tampa Bay Smokers. I'd been with Decatur for four years. Um, they were the first big team that I'd ever real played, really played for. They uh, mm. and, and had some good success with them. Uh, won an ASA the year before. Uh, Chubb, myself, and uh, I think we had a guy... Uh, Mike Combs was our other pitcher, or Brent Stevenson and Mike Combs. We had four pitchers. Chubb had uh, established himself in uh, Decatur, and I was looking to find a place to go to, um, to I guess, take the helm myself. When I, I wanted to be the horse. And so um, this guy from Tampa Bay, Florida, contacted me and said, um, do you want to come to play in Florida? I've got Jared Martin, Fabian Barlow, Kerry Johansson, uh, Paul Wolford, and yourself uh, would be. Would you be interested in coming? And I thought, sure, that sounds like a bit of fun, doesn't it? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, we went there. Uh, went there on, on a whim. This guy had come from nowhere. He come out of a. I think he had a modified or a modified slow pitch sort of a team in Florida, and he wanted to try and have a crack at the big time in softball. So. We went there. Yes, that boat's for real. Um, we used to go uh, on little uh, Tuesday nights. We'd take it out for a little bit of a cruise around uh, Clearwater, Florida, in the, uh, in the out there in the waterfront. It was very nice. Uh, uh, Pete Porcelli uh, was a different character. He was a very interesting man, but he had a desire to, to compete, and he and uh, gave... Um, us an opportunity to be involved in, and we drew, he dropped a schedule that year where he was going to play everyone and anyone that wanted to come to Florida, and we travelled as well. So 
yeah, the environment. We uh, we used to have to train in our uniforms, Chopper. We turned up to training without a uniform on. We had a training uniform. We would get sent home to get your uniforms. If you did turned up to training late, uh, he uh, would um, you would get uh, consequences for that. It, it was uh, it was creating a very disciplined environment, uh, which was tough for uh, for some of the people on that list that I mentioned uh, before. But we had, a lot, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun too because we were. Um, we were in a, a, a very nice place, and uh, we played ball. We played. We, he wanted us to play ball, and we had to compete uh, uh, every weekend. Every weekend out, we were we were playing someone good. It was it was challenging. And then we. What are your teammates on that squad you mentioned? Uh, yeah. What are your teammates uh, on that team you mentioned? Paul Walford, man, he was really a firecracker back in those days. What was he like as a teammate? Paul Walford. Um, yeah, uh, a, a very good teammate, a good friend of mine, and has been for years. Um, what, what did Walter bring to the um, bring to the table every week was his competitiveness. He was from Hawke Bay and um, and ha- had a little bit of fire in his belly. He's a rugby league player, uh, and also had um, um, his pedigree. I mean, obviously, he's the younger brother of Owen Walford, who was a very competitive. World world uh, champion um, softball pitcher, but Walford um, Walford delivered every time he turned up, and he was consistent. Eh? You knew what you were getting with him, and his his learnings rubbed off on all of us. Is that you know if you're going to show up, you're going to show up, and you're going to compete. There's no there's no off day, and whatever, regardless of what happens to you outside um, the park and off the field, you've got to turn up and play and. It was fun doing that with him and doing that with the guys that you played with. And, and I think that was a, a, a common thing amongst um, that that team was that we all wanted to play. We all wanted to play that and enjoyed enjoyed the fact that we had that opportunity. So Wilford was, yeah, a firecracker. Um, yeah, I think, uh, what's the thing that's bigger than a firecracker? Uh, a Molotov, not a Molotov cocktail, a uh, tuna bomb. That's what he was. He was one of those. <laughs> yeah, that's him. And uh, but that, 1996, you guys went the distance with the smokers. Yeah, and so um, personnel changed a little bit the next year. Eh? So in '95, we had uh, we didn't do too well at the ICs, and so there was some change in the personnel. I was retained. We, we brought in uh, a few other guys, and so um, Tim Wall turned up. So he ended up coming and catching. Todd Martin turned up, uh, who was a pitcher on the Canadian uh, national team. Uh, we brought in uh, some other guys. David Boys, who was a shortstop from Decatur, Illinois, and Sioux City Pink, or he came in and played shortstop. We picked up a number of others, and... Uh, Taifal Matai was uh, came to join the team. Walford was still there, and I was still there. So we had three Kiwis left from the team before, and um, we got on a roll uh, during that tournament. And um, it was uh, it was interesting because Pete Porcelli was very good at uh, planning campaigns. He he had video. Uh, he'd made up videos for us to watch before every game. So he had sat down and done all this work and he had these motivational speeches. He uh, 
he was very organised and he was um, not necessarily uh, the best on the field coach, but he knew how to uh, motivate him and yeah, yeah, yeah. give you uh, give you goals and, and set goals for these guys. And so and he was about us being disciplined. And so we'd learned that over the two years. And that week, um, the team, um, he played quite outstanding, actually. Um, we were up against some, some great opposition. We uh, played um, all car in the final, which had uh, Michael White pitching for them. And Whitey uh, had um, already had a great year there, which we'll probably talk about a little bit uh, later on. But he came in and um, was pitching really well. We'd knocked out Chubb Tangaroa's team earlier. We'd knocked out the Gators earlier which we had Darren Zach, we'd knocked out uh, the farm, which was another tough squad, and we were up against Whitey, and um, we, we ended up uh, through, um, I guess, uh, fortune where uh, Micah got cramp in the final, Michael White did. He was pitching really well. We were, uh, I think it was tied up, and Michael White cramped out in the fifth inning, in the, uh, seventh, in the seventh inning. And they brought Michael Gager in to replace him. And Michael Gager gave up a, a home run for us to win the IC that year. But we'd, we'd beaten everyone else. We played all the way through. We were the only unbeaten team. So we, we battled and played really well that year. And Yeah, yeah the first and only uh, uh, IC uh, title for me. But um, I, I remember all of them, Chopper. I remember yeah. them distinctly because... In those days, you were, you were, they were so competitive. Uh, they were um, from 1987 uh, when I first went to my first one to 2009 when I pitched in my last one. You know, that was 22 years later. Uh, it was um, it was memorable, and and it was uh, it was just the, the fierce competitiveness and the and the, the battle hardiness of everyone because you'd get there at the end of the season, you'd done all your hard yards. Um, and you had two lives and you were out, you know, and you, and you were, yeah. we, used to, we used to talk about it. We were playing for our room keys, two mm-hmm. losses, and you got to get on the road and go home. So if you wanted to stick around and stay and watch the tournament, you, you had to keep winning. And, yeah, memorable. IFCs all through those years were, were fiercely competitive. Some great places to play that I remember. Kimberley, Wisconsin had some of the, the best tournaments. Victoria... British Columbia uh, was a great IAC. Um, 1988 in Decatur, Illinois, uh, didn't have a great one. I, um, that was my second IAC. I lost the first two games and, and ended up getting eliminated, but I stayed and watched uh, that whole tournament and, and watched all these guys play, and it was some of, some of my learnings is that I used to spend a lot of time at the park watching, watching these mm-hmm. guys, and that's where I... Think I was able to to pick up on some of the things that helped me in my career by by taking the time to go in and see what the best did and and learn from that. So, yeah, I see softball. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's the one man. Uh, uh, that's the only way you can learn, right? Is by either playing it or watching it. Um, dude, one other thing I got to ask you from that famous documentary Fast Pitch by Jeremy Spears: mm. What is the moose, and how do you get loose? So, um, so in Elk, Elkland, 
Elkland, Pennsylvania, there is a tournament for the Elkland Invitational, I think it is, and uh, about, I think it's about five kilometres from the park is a, is a moose lodge, and it's like an RSA or a retirement uh, where all the war, uh, army veterans used to go, and it's like a, a little club that you can go to, and they have live music. And um, I think you're quoting Hayden Smith, where he talks about... Um, going to the moose and going to get loose. Well, Hayden's a bit of a muso. Uh, yeah. and he was a guitarist and he plays the guitar. And, and we used to go to that um, to that moose club and play play um, and sing. We'd, we'd get up and play the guitar, play the drums, uh, and we'd sing at that thing. And then we'd get up there and take over the stage. And that year, I think, uh, I, I remember the, there was the Newfoundlanders, I think, from the Newfies from... Uh, Newfoundland, they got up and sang, and then we had Hayden singing. There was a whole bunch of us just getting up and, and having fun and uh, entertaining each other by getting loose on the band gear. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Very cool. Dude, um, you mentioned that's 22 years, actually, in fact, uh, that you played in the States um, uh, through that period of time. How, do you, how would you like Buddy Grant to be remembered in the States? Hey, so I... Um, I, I, I believe um, the work ethic uh, uh, is something that would come across uh, as part of my uh, North American playing career. I, 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 I don't know if I was ever one of the best uh, pitchers to ever go over there and compete, but I, I, I certainly gave 100, and you, you knew what you were getting every time I went on the mound. Um, there were no surprises, and... Um, I guess that was uh, what I, what I learned to, to do is to be able to deliver whenever I could. Um, also, wanted to be remembered as someone that uh, enjoyed what he did and, and enjoyed the company of the players. And I have some real, really fond memories of the, the the places that I travelled to and the teams that I played with and the people that supported me and, and the clubs that supported us. And so, yeah. Um, I wasn't necessarily the, the, the nicest guy to play against either because I uh, was uh, someone that wanted to compete <laughs> and uh, come out and do my best. But um, I think I heard someone else, I uh, read someone else talk about it that, that if I was your teammate, then you knew what you were going to get when, when uh, I was given the ball. And so, um, yeah, fierce competitor on the field. Uh, and someone that you'd want to hang out and have a bit of fun with afterwards and, and, and maybe before. Very cool, bud. Very cool. Um, you talked about work ethic. I remember catching up with you uh, in the latter part of your career when you were teaching uh, pitching as well. I think it was at Otoro or something. I can't remember exactly. But um, you were telling me about your regime of getting ready for the States or preparing for the Sox, uh, your season, and, and just the effort. You talked a little bit earlier about how you introduced the weights and things, but you were a hard worker off the diamond. Yeah, so I, I, I think I came down to um, being able to analyse what you had, and I, I was pretty, pretty uh, became quite uh, good at doing that, at looking at yourself and critiquing what I had, and, and I, I knew I didn't um, have a, a lot of the um, natural ability. I mean, I had, had some movement and some pitches, and I had a, a relatively good rise ball and a decent drop change-up 
turned up every now and then whenever it wanted to and left me just as quickly. <laughs> and what I, what I learned was that if I, I could have some attrition uh, and, and be able to, like I said earlier, deliver on what I was going to give you what I've got every time, um, then then I could get some respect as a pitcher and, and give myself some uh, opportunity. So fitness was uh, something that I, I decided to work on. It was um, it was something that got me into the New Zealand team was my, my fitness, my because uh, I, I remember turning up for my first, uh, my debut as a, um, a New Zealand pitcher and um, I'd, I'd done the uh, unbelievable, most amazing training that I'd ever done in my life. And uh, I, I learned about running, I learned about lifting, I used to swim, I used to cycle, I used to eat properly, stretch and do all that stuff, rest, sleep, uh, get the right amount of sleep. And then um, with that came uh, com- uh, confidence and then with that confidence came um, results. And um, I, I, I just kept continuing to do that. So I managed to maintain it. And then that was the fun part of it too is, that I, you had to enjoy it, and um, I, I enjoyed the training. Uh, training was the hardest part of, of my career from the 1990s on. Was the hardest part. If you if you could beat yourself up on training, then then the game was going to be easy. And um, I used to battle through the trains, and when you get through the other side and and do it, your um, the games were were just about delivering and about executing and. So it was it was it was easy for me, and it was easier for me. Uh, and at times you could you could get through when you were um, when you were uh, when you were fit with the, without your top game. So if I was uh, able to go out and perform at eighty percent or eighty five percent, I was still getting victories because I was fit and I wouldn't run out of gas and I was calm and I was focused. So all that stuff. Uh, came from my training regiment and it was uh, it was a, a lot of time uh, I think I, I used to add the hours up because that's how I used to keep track of it I used to keep track of my training by hours and uh, I think I was put in 14 sometimes to 20 hours a week of training to be able to deliver in the weekends and, and that's what you got to do I mean science shows now in these days that the guys are to be elite athletes that's a minimum you know so um it's uh, it's uh, something that I started doing, and I still remember, I still remember the days of playing with my my, my mate Chub Tangaroa, and he'd go, "Where are you going? Wow, yeah. so I'm going for a run." He says, "Oh, stop showing me up. Sit down. Stay here with me." And uh, <laughs> I was one of those guys that uh, were hefty, you know, because I didn't have that natural ability. Uh, it, it, it paid dividends, Chopper. It, it helped me get to where I, I was, and. Um, I wasn't as big, as strong as Jimmy Warner and and Meredith, uh, and so I had to had to work with what I had and 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 and, and train it every, every week. But it, was, it was, but it was fun. I made it fun. Mean, mean. Hey, you talk, just reminded me of something. The nickname Wah. Where did that come from? Yeah, interesting story. So there's a couple of theories uh, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> So um, my, when I was a kid, my, my, my father gave me a nickname. He used to call me Tuna, so I was a slippery eel. And yeah. um, uh, uh, and he used to say that I was um, 
Connor up the Wawika, which is the Weka of the Wa River. So it was. I, yeah. I thought it was something to do with that in the mouth of the the Wa River. Uh, sorry, the Weka River. And so Waha means mouth. And so I got told at several times that maybe it was because of my mouth that I had a bit to say. But then um, <laughs> I realised also that um, it had to do with the fact that I, I had a tendency to cry and. Um, I would cry for happy things and I would cry for sad things. And I uh, had, uh, had had a, had a very um, early age lost control of my tear ducts. And Chopper, I, I think it's because I um, uh, used to get into what I used to do and get emotional. And, I, and it's, I, uh, yeah, I think that's where, where it stuck was that why, um, I didn't mind getting called that, even though it sounds like a, you know, like a, a bit of a mocking nickname, but um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, just where I was a little get, used to get a little bit emotional, and maybe it was a little bit to do with my waha. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> All right, whether where's your mouth or your tear ducts, because it's still a good one. Muddy <laughs> wah. Everyone knows that one, that's for sure. Um, we talk about the socks now. '92 was your first World Cup. You debuted in '90, as you said. Um, you guys had a bit of undue, well, call it undue, but extra pressure on the squad that time around. Yeah, so um, in 1992, um, we got beaten, and as I said, uh, we'd, uh, I think we talked earlier about uh, it, it was a, a bit of pill to swallow where we uh, had lost that final to Canada and the ISF in Manila, and uh, was uh, we'd lost it. We, um, the Canadians were playing good softball, but we should have won that game, and we should have won that that uh, IESF, uh, we had it here for us for the taking. Um, then in, uh, in during the uh, years going on to 1996, we'd brought in some new people. Uh, the the squad had changed a little bit and there had been some some veterans that had stuck around and those veterans included players like Michael White, uh, Chubb Tangaroa, Dean Rice, uh, Thomas Peranara, um, uh, Mark Sorensen, who, who was skippering us at the time, obviously, and leading from the front. And uh, what had happened is that we'd, um, we'd, we'd got through those years playing really good softball, uh, playing a lot of domestic games back in New Zealand, uh, touring. But um, I don't know, we, we really didn't have a, a, a why. Our, our direction was a little bit... Uh, I guess it wasn't it wasn't solid, and we didn't bring it, we hadn't brought it together. And so, during the uh, the build up to the '96 World Series, we were on a tour. We were travelling up through um, a place called Prince George in the Rockies. Uh, we were playing up there, and we uh, mm-hmm. got into uh, we were invited to play an exhibition game against uh, a, a, a First Nation North North American Native American team. Uh, they were going to bring an all-star team out of that um, the tournament they were hosting. They were going to play us in the exhibition game that night. And so um, we came out there and we turned up, and it was a it was a, quite a social tournament. But they they put together a team to play us, and, and anyway, they were they weren't that good, but they were fired up, and the, the crowd was full of these Native American Indians, and they'd heard that we were called the Black Sox, so they thought we were uh, Native Americans, but we mm. were New Zealanders. And then um, during that game, um, we uh, 
we played really average. Uh, we didn't, we weren't focused. Um, we, were, we were under a bit of pressure too because during that game, um, a couple of our uh, Pākehā members of our team were attacked by the crowds. They uh, they got threatened. I mean, you may not have heard this story, but um, really? uh, Kerry Johansson, um, who is uh, uh, Mōpokoa, the uh, uh, iwi out of the uh, Horofanua area, he, uh, he's Māori. So they, uh, some of them went up to him and said, hey, you Wadi, I'm going to go out to my truck and I'm going to shoot you with a shotgun. So KJ ran and hid in the dugout. They, uh, they did. They were. Re- it was really quite an interesting environment to be in that Mike Walsh had put us in, and um, yeah. So we were playing against this North American Indian team, and they they were they were playing quite well. They were playing above themselves. We were playing below ourselves, and and um, so we were getting threatened. Uh, it was a quite a hostile environment. Um, anyways, we, we I think we ended up winning eight six. And uh, and we played a double here, and I think we won the second one four to three. But we played average. Shopper. Anyways, we got back to the um, to the park, and everyone just chilled out. And then the next morning, we uh, Mr. Walsh, our coach, decided to um, deliver a message, and he, he he brought us in the room, and um, we got we got cleaned out uh, verbally, and he told us that what he thought was happening. And Warren Stoddard, one of our very, one of our coaches who was very influential in my career, um, yeah, put yeah. a plan. He said, he goes, look, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's, um, let's lock that door and let's talk about why we're here. And so um, we uh, we sat down and I think it was for, we were in there for about two hours and he, he gave us all an opportunity to talk. And some of the guys talked about what was, had happened in 1992. Some of the guys talked about their families. We talked about what what we loved about this, the team. We talked about what we didn't like about the team and the environment. And we came up with a with a plan, and a, and we decided that we were going to focus on doing it for each other and for our country and for our um, clubs and for our provinces. And we. We became united as a team there, and that was the first time that had happened for me in the four years—sorry, uh, six years—that I'd been involved in the squad. That was the beginning of um, what I believe was the Black Sox culture that took the team through those uh, those premier years of '96, 2000, and 2004. Um, Dean Rice was involved in that um, discussion. He was really. Uh, influential in that discussion, and we decided that there was no more um, pissing around to to come to the short of it. We were going to focus. We were going to deliver on the people for the people that we cared for, and um, it was a it was a very moving time. And um, some boys were able were able to remove the rocks that they'd been sleeping with under their pillows from the nineteen ninety two World Series, and. We came out after that game, and uh, the results are in the speaking. Uh, we um, went through there, and we think we 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 won fourteen games in a row in that in that championship. I think we had mm-hmm. eight, eight shutouts or nine shutouts. Um, Whitey pitched the perfect game in the final, the most amazing pitching performance I've ever seen in my life. Um, we competed everywhere. Uh, we uh, we, we drove each other. We um, 
we had um, a common goal, and it was such a inspiring time. And that was, uh, yeah, like I said, Chopper, that set us up for the for the next few campaigns as well. And um, it was really, really super stuff, and so privileged to be a part of that. You know, it was like, wow, nice. You know, it was enjoyable. Yeah. Enjoyable. So you talk about the culture of the Black Sox. So this next video here is uh, in 2000 where you guys get us a look inside what it was like when you got to uh, East London, uh, the conditions you were in, but how you guys also reacted to it. The Black Sox machine rolled on into East London, South Africa, aiming for back-to-back world championships. Aside from playing, the team also had to contend with off-the-field concerns as well, particularly accommodation and the South African crowds. It's, it's a tough place to tour. Um, the, 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 the accommodation was, was a little average, um, to say the least. It was too tough for teams like the Australians um, who were in the same accommodation as us and then they bunked out and um, and again I remember the night that they um, they bunked out and went to a hotel and one of our guys Paul Alga as the Australians were leaving out yelled out where are you going guys and they said oh we've had enough you know we're moving out and they just lost their first game of the tournament and, um, and Alfie yells out it's not a knockout tournament boys you don't go home after the first game. So you know we're up there grabbing their pillows their mattresses and uh, you know all amongst that was all the Creatures too, and the monkeys outside as well. We were training on this rugby field and uh, this little village. They all lived in mud huts and they bought out their, their local market products and they were trying to sell us this stuff. And um, at the end of the training session, uh, we would bought a, a bucket of water, a, a drink, drink water for us to drink, and we were about to tip it out and they started screaming at us. And the village used to collect their water from the roof of the school. And for us, um, we regard it as dirty, but to them it was gold. Um, and we left it with either of them, and the chief just couldn't say anything more to us. Sort of uh, brings you back to perspective of where, where you are in life, and, and we were fortunate to, to be out and share our sport with those people, and it was a great experience, most memorable. Marty, yeah. dude, going back to that time, enlighten us what it was like, man. What, what, how were you feeling? How was the team feeling? Um, we'd been fortunate that we had a, um, a great management team uh, that year and that was led by uh, uh, Grant McCarroll and he'd, um, he'd done a reconnaissance trip so he actually gone over earlier than the, in the year to, to have a look and see what we were uh, going to uh, move into so um, there was no surprises I think that was one of the things that made it a lot easier for us we said look this is what we've got um, I can't do much better than this for you. So either you prepare for it or you um, you go in there and you mismanage yourselves and, and then, then you're to blame, right? So there was no um, – we didn't have any surprises. We got there and we knew what we had to do. So we went around and we drove around. I remember we got a trailer and we went around and we went to this local bar and we uh, asked them if we could have their pool table. And they let us have their pool table out of the bar, and we were going to borrow it. We were the New Zealand um, soccer <laughs> team. We were going to borrow it for the week. Uh, we ran into a, a, a boy from the Hutt Valley who was was playing rugby over there at the time, and he gave us his television. We <laughs> didn't have television. There was no phones. There was no television. So we were, we were in this uh, place, this place that had, uh, and so um, it was 
uncomfortable, but it was, we were prepared for it. And the thing was, we uh, we stayed in these accommodations, and the, the banks were uh, the, uh, the beds were like hammocks, so they had the old wire um, springed mattresses, and some of the guys would put boards on them. There was four to a room. It was very meagre, but but what it did is it brought us together. It was um, we had one we had a CD player, and I remember. Um, we used to come out into the hallway and we'd meet and we'd sit there and uh, we'd put music on and everyone would have to listen to the to the one CD because that's all we had. So we were, we were all sharing the same <laughs> songs, you know. And we'd go, oh, you like that? And we we ended up making this great mixtape of all the songs that we used to listen to because we had to listen to the same ones. You know? And it was uh, yeah, it was just, it brought us so much closer. And, and the food was homely. You know, we were, it was home cook, cooking. We didn't get any... Um, it was it was stew and you know just and there was plenty of bread on the table so all the molded boys were really happy with getting heaps of butter and bread. It was very accommodating, so it was uh, something that we were prepared for, and that was that's what I think made that environment uh, allow us to enjoy what we were doing and not be worried about the uh, the conditions. There was other things happening too. Eh? There was a just right at the beginning of that um, that uh, championship in South Africa. South Africa were applying to um, host the World Cup of Football. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, They'd been putting in a bid to host the World Cup of Football. And so apparently in the voting process, the the votes were tied. And the last guy to to get his say was the uh, delegate from New Zealand. And if the delegate from New Zealand was able to uh, vote for South Africa, they would have got it. He'd have voted for the other ones. Um, it wouldn't have gone somewhere else. So he had yeah, stayed. Yeah. He didn't vote, which meant that the uh, other t- uh, uh, it didn't go to South Africa. Went somewhere else. So the whole of South Africa knew that this guy from New Zealand had stopped them from getting the World Cup of football. Oh no! Uh, oh, two no. days before we went to the opening ceremony, and we got booed uh, through the opening ceremony. They were screaming. That there was crowd. There was a bit of a crowd there, and they were very angry. And it was uh, in, in New Zealand they, when they announced us coming into the opening ceremony and uh, they were booing us. We had this um, group of um, this band walking in front of us as well, though, because we were defending champions. Um, and at the, they were booing us as we were walking around the stages. Defend, uh, it was around the park and the opening ceremony is defending champions. And then the, uh, that band was playing in the seats, and that's the, at the end of the week, that same band was cheering for us. They were cheering mm-hmm. for us as we were winning it, though, because we we became part of, uh, I guess, the local favourites. Um, South Africa has an affiliation yeah, yeah. with New Zealand and not with Japan or Canada or the United States. So we were fortunate that we were, we were like yeah, this yeah. home team. Nice. Nice. Um, Marty, um, I was interesting, before we started this podcast, I asked you what was your most memorable moment. I thought you were going to say winning the final in 2000. You told me something a little different. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the memorable moment from me was um, that, um, that I, I, I'd uh, arriving in South Africa as part of that, that pitching um uh, as that pitching staff, and we had Paul Algar, uh, Greg Newton, myself, and Jared Martin. That um, 
I, I was going to get an opportunity possibly to pitch in the playoffs, which I hadn't done in, um, in previous two world championships in 96 uh, or in 92. So I was hoping that I was going to get a chance. And so what I did is I, we were doing a, a visit to the fields before the tournament started and I, uh, I found myself thinking, right, what am I going to do to be best prepared for that? So I, uh, I went into the dugout of the main diamond and I, I sat down and I, I went through this uh, visualisation process of imagining that they're calling out the lineup for the final of the World uh, World Championships was going to be played uh, 10 days later. So I, picked, uh, I went through and I remember listening to some names of the, of the lineup and then and I got to the part where they were naming the pitcher and I... And I, I Imagined that it was me, and I, I remember them naming it uh, well, in my mind. And I got up and I walked out to the mound as, as if I had the ball in the hand, and I was still on the mound, trying to prepare myself for that moment that would come. And um, it did ten uh, days later. And uh, so when when that moment was happening, uh, uh, prior to the final, I, I was I was prepared for it. I'd I, I'd done. Uh, prep and I was ready and I wasn't nervous and I wasn't scared and I was confident and so yeah uh, that's the most memorable part of I guess of my career is that I'd won I'd finally got through my apprenticeship and I was going to get a, a big game uh, a big situation and two then I'd done the preparation uh, which included making myself mentally prepared and I wasn't going to do what had happened to me uh, earlier in 1992 when I uh was invited to pitch in the final and wasn't prepared. So, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the most memorable one. And then, obviously, uh, uh, having a pretty good performance and then winning. But, yeah, the wins are the results of good uh, good preparation and performance, Chopper, Damien. So, yeah, I've done that. So, yeah. You sure did, my friend, and you're so humble when you say, I just had a good performance. Uh, Madigan <laughs> goes on to throw a no-hitter. Uh, against Japan in the final here. We've got a video here, um, just kind of captures a bit of that. And also, what's your teammates thought of it? But, as they've often done in the past, adversity, whether it be on the diamond or off it, was not going to stop this Black Sox team from back-to-back world titles. They would go on to beat the same Japanese team that had defeated them in the playoffs 2-1 in a tied final with Nelson's Marty Grant, the winning pitcher. Part of it was a, a bit of a daze for me because I got in a bit of a rhythm and um, couldn't remember much of it. And um, it was just empowering stuff. Probably Marty's defining moment as a pitcher, you know, winning winning the final of World Champs and, and not giving up a hit. And it was to see that, you know, someone like Marty Grant just come through and, uh, and perform to, to that level was, um, I was just so happy for him. I thought well, I was done after that, to be honest. I thought I was going to retire, but obviously that didn't happen. And um, yeah, uh, outstanding team. Great trip, going to South Africa and doing it was amazing. I was sitting in the dugout. I didn't want to get involved in all the jumping and all the rest of it because I thought if I'm too close to that, I'm actually going to miss it all. I actually want to see it. Um, And the joy and the emotion um, that just poured out was just um, outstanding or just fantastic. So New Zealand would finally defend their title. I uh, look at you watching that video, man, and I see the emotion uh, of you in that video, but also watching yourself in that video. Climbing the mountain like that after all of that effort, how do you bottle it up? 
I don't. I don't do that very well, Choppy. You know that. And so, so I was, I was able to release it, and, and that's where you get to deliver uh, um, on the stage you, you're given. Um, uh, coaching staff had had faith. Um, had Chubb there pushing you because you know he um, Chubb didn't get a final through the years. He never. Um, I don't think he got to. Well, his only final was in '92, and he, he didn't get to finish that, and he didn't get a victory out of it. So um, when you get that opportunity, you got to take it. And it was uh, really cool, but but challenging at the time because how, how do I uh, – you don't know because you, all you think about is what you give up because you think about your sacrifices because you're not there with your family, you're not with your friends, you're, you're with your teammates, which is good. But like Don Trick said, where would you rather be? But, um, you know, it's relief. It's, um, yeah, it's relief, really. And I think uh, you probably find that's quite common with most of most of the um, pitches you talk to and the, and the players that you talk to through your, your series is that it's relief and it's about being able to um, prepare and get something done. And, and that's uh, come from no lack of, I guess, commitment and sacrificing. And, yeah. Enjoyable, um, memorable. Like I said, uh, I think in that video, you couldn't remember hardly any of it because it just goes by. You get in the zone. You would have heard of people getting in zones where things just go really quickly and you, and you stay in there. It's, it's, once you're out, it's hard to get back in, so you stay in there and you compete. And so you, no one talks to you through a no-hitter. No one's going to talk to you in the dugout. No one's going to say anything to you. So you're going through there going, shit, I, I might be here on my own, but you're not, you know. But but it's, yeah, amazing time. And then, yeah, just we uh, we had a, had a great time and, and the memories are about the prep and about the and the game's just a, just the a vehicle you use to get there, right? Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very cool, man. Um, i got to say, as a fan, uh, but um, 2000 was a tough one because we didn't get to see it. Uh, you know, we just got to read about it and stuff like that back at that mm. time. And um, uh, But to then, you know, hear all the stories, you know, your preparation, as you mentioned, the accommodation, uh, and then doing what you did in the final, you know, just made us feel proud as Kiwis. We had it. We had great um, pitching staff that year too. Uh, Paul Alger beats the USA one nothing the game. Uh, the game before uh, we're playing Japan on that tour, and um, we uh, we're up against Nishimura, um, who's throwing flat out peas. And uh, they had three pitches that year that were unbelievable. And Japan, you won't see another pitching staff like that out of Japan again. And we're down. We're playing in the game in the in the. I think it's the winners bracket final. We're going through, and um, Alf, Paul Alger was pitching. He gives up a um, he gives up a home run. And we lose one nothing, um, and so they start him again in the final. Nishimura, and still no one could see him. The boys were struggling, mm. and then Jezza hits one out, and in, uh, in the fourth or something like that. And and we're going crikey, and they take Nishimura out. He's the only one that got close, 
to, to even get in contact on the ball, and everyone's cheering in our dugout that they've taken yeah. the Japanese pitches, they've taken this guy out, and they bring in this other little guy that's thrown just as hard. And, yeah, and we managed to wrangle out that, that second run to win. I mean, they're, they're, it's interesting how you pitch a no-hitter, you give up a run, and people ask how that happened, but I'm sure you you may know how it happened. But we we had a pop-up, and uh, it was really dark lights at that field, and um, the, um, the ball got a, a pop-up in the outfield, and it dropped, and one of our outfielders should have caught the ball, didn't catch the ball. Guy get, gets the third, they hit a little sacrifice fly, and he scores on a sack fly. That's how they scored. So there was no hits. There was a bit of contact, yeah, uh, but um, there was no hits. So that's how it happened, and and we had to get the lead. And yeah, amazing, amazing um, battle by the Japanese. They were they were deserved of winning. They had lost the game coming into that final, but we beat them and became the champions. So we're lucky that we had uh, belief in each other, and we had a plan that night to win. Yeah, just ask you a question. In that last innings, uh, with it all on the line there, uh, how do you how do you get ready? What's the mindset, dude? How do you win? Um, yeah, I used to use the saying, "Yeah, um, you leave with the girl that you brought to the dance," and that means that you go with what got you there. And I've been throwing rise balls. Uh, they had, I think, they had about seven left-handers in their lineup. Oh, eight left-handers and one right-hander. On the day, I had a rise ball that was going away from left-handers. Like in the, in the female game, they call it the screwball, which is a rise ball that goes up and away. So yeah. I managed to get that thing working that day, and that's all we were throwing at them. Mark was calling it, and it was going to the outside of the plate, and then it was shooting away, and... He just said, Tom, let's use what got us here, and and that's what we did. Uh, uh, I think he struck out three guys in the last inning. We got 17 on the day, so I don't know where they all came from, but that's, that's what right. happened in that last one. And and it was, um, yeah, leaving with the girl that you brought to the dance. <laughs> I like yeah. it. That is gold. That is gold. I'm going to remember yeah. that one, that's for sure. <laughs> 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 uh, um, dude, if I can fast forward um, to the next World Cup when Christchurch home soil, you must have been amping to get on the paddock for New Zealand. And then uh, first, you watch your teammate Jimmy Wanna go down to a calf industry injury. He just manages to get back, but you fail. So you fall to the same problem. How was that? Yeah, well, uh, I guess. Um we were all getting Jimmy and myself were getting a little bit longer in the tooth chopper. Where, yeah, uh, I mean, I was uh, 38, 38, yeah, 38, 39 uh, mm. at that at that tournament, and um, uh, to be playing um, at that level uh, was going to be uh, a challenge anyway, and to be Condition enough to compete at that level was going to even be harder. So Jimmy and both of us uh, were going through the same troubles of trying to get ourselves physically prepared. I had um, I, I've been living in Nelson at those uh, through those last uh, few years, and well, I moved there in '96. So eight years, I've been 
based in Nelson, so I didn't train with um, with my club sides in Wellington who I was playing for, or with uh, I played for Christchurch uh, United for a while, but mainly with PK through those years. And um, so a lot of it was training was done by myself or with um, the teams here in Nelson. And so I was good at doing the cross cross code training. I was doing a lot of stuff to keep myself physical and. A lot of people would have thought it was probably excessive, but that's how I had to keep myself busy and, and phys, uh, physically fit. And so when I went in there, I was I was tuned, eh? I was <laughs> I was I was tightly so so I keyed myself and got ready, and I felt like you know at thirty nine, um, it could have been anything that could have happened physically that could have injury. I but as it was. Um, was running on this cold floor of a of an indoor cricket field that um, that that uh, did the damage. And when the day I remember the day distinctly, it was um, we'd meant to train outside. It started raining, and so we went inside. But if it hadn't rained, it may never happen. We went inside, and we we're running on this um, indoor cricket wicket, and that's when it popped. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's the softball god saying, and you weren't going to get the opportunity. So, um, yeah, tough one, but Shivers, the, did the team ever step up after that? It was amazing. Yeah, I'd never seen any any team deliver like that offensively, and wow, it was like, crikey. Um, there, was, there was no one that was going to stop those guys from scoring runs that week, and it was... Whew, Amazing. I, I was glad uh, that I wasn't from any other country than New Zealand, and they were uh, they were in the mood that weekend. It was amazing. It was amazing. The good thing, uh, Marty, is they asked you to stay on with the team uh, as a scout to assist the pitchers, of course, uh, that, that are in that squad. How did you flip the mental switch from, I'm going to be a starter on the hill contending potentially my last World Cup, to I'm now going to help them in a coaching role? Um, I, I've been um, part of the leadership group for uh, a part of the time going into that that championship. And one of the things that developed from the the Black Sox culture of the, 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 the near past was that we would bring in people to be leaders. And so I was part of that group, Chopper, uh, in those days, I was also um, um, in charge. I was the uh, entertainment officer, so I, I was an important <laughs> part of the program where I would find out what we were going to do outside of the game with the support of, well, and actually the direction of Grant McCarroll, uh, that we would go in the right direction. So there was other roles I played in the team as well. So I, I was fortunate to, to be there. And, you know, when, when you're a pitcher, it's interesting. You, you don't get to form in every game anyway, eh? And when you're a yeah. starting pitcher, you, you're relief sometimes or you're, you get your one and four games in rotation. So there's a lot of sitting around doing a not, a not a lot yeah, mm. and trying to contribute. And one of the things I always tried to do when I was part of that, that um, program and the Black Sox team was to try and bring something else to the table besides your play and always be... Uh, able to uh, deliver other stuff outside of your um, your pitching, and that was something that I, I, I took pride in doing. And so it was no different. Um, I guess I just didn't get my start every once every four days, uh, 
but I was there to, to give encouragement and to do scouting, to work with um, with anyone really because there was a couple of guys that were making their comeback. Mark had come back out of retirement himself, but he was a uh, and Jimmy, and so they wanted to be left alone, and so you looked after the, the guys that needed the help, and you left alone the guys that didn't want it. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was all part of being part of that leadership group. Well, outstanding contribution, mate, and, and uh, again, made the country proud, but this time, right in front of our eyes on home soil. What, what, a, what a mission. Mm. Yeah, great team, and led by um, uh, Jared Martin, who had a great uh, a great tenure as our captain and, and led us, in, but yeah, there was also some guys coming out that, that, that uh, had great series, Patty Shannon, uh, Stacey McLean, uh, Nathan, Brad Warner, I mean, sure, Donnie Hale, that hitting lineup was stacked and um, deep. Wow, dangerous and deep. Yeah, and there was some 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 bats that, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you may never see the, the, the quality of that sort of stuff again in the future. Who knows? Well, mate, um, we know that the SOS came for Mark Sorensen in 2004. 2009 could kind of say it was the same phone call for you. But before I get to it, I got a question from one of your teammates, actually, uh, around that time, uh, Brad Lorna, and he asks, how's the boxing in the elevator? And the, the boxing in the... Elevator. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and Brad would know, because he was in there, um, that it was quite good, and um, I, you know, I'm, it was uh, something that I guess it was about a uh, part of our culture and delivering what you need. And we uh, we had some challenges on the tour uh, to try and find ourselves in the right place. But um, Brad, thank you. Um, yeah, it's still good, and um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it hasn't been used as much anymore. But yeah, it's good. Thank you. Uh, uh, Brent? <laughs> you didn't let much out of the cupboard on that one, did you? No, I'm not, I'm not going to say. Okay. <laughs> uh, dude, um, 2009, uh, you do definitely New Zealand needs you again, and you answer the call. And as you mentioned, you're right at the very twilight uh, by this time and having to get prepared. Um, how did you prepare for that 2009 tournament? Yeah, um, that was hard. That was hard, Chopper. Um, and I, I, um, I know that a lot of people would have um, thought that that shivers you. What are you doing? That's probably not what you need, Marty. And and, and I, I was struggling through that time too because my family was going through some um, personal stuff. But I got support yeah. from my family to um, to pursue it. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, um, there was an opportunity for um, for me to play uh, in the in the Silver Fern again, or to play for New Zealand. And we, uh, I wanted to see if I could do it. So here's what happened. I mean, so 2008, I get invited to try and um, make the the Black Sox again, and I went to a, a series in North Harbour. I'm 42 years old, and I played in the uh, tourney, and I think it was Papua New Guinea where I got my one at-bat for uh, New Zealand at that stage and, and struck out convincingly. Um, and then I um, 
then uh, I got up there and I wasn't up to it. Uh, chopper, I didn't have the legs. My uh, the body wasn't there, and I was I was in bad shape. So I, I made a commitment to the program, and I um, challenged myself to do one more year and uh, or another year in North America to go and get ready. I didn't think taking the winter off was going to help me, um, or help the program, or help my career in the Black Sox. So I um, went back to. The I uh, to compete in the ISC, and I managed to uh, trick a team into taking me on. And uh, <laughs> as a pitcher, and uh, I went and played for a team out of California. They uh, they uh, they had me, and I was pitching with Lucas Mata. We uh, we were pitching together for um, uh, the Treo Bombers out of California, and. Um, what I decided is that I was going to go and I was going to train the house down and, and I was going to prepare and see if I, if I was good enough to compete. And, I, and I'd only know if I went to an ISC and um, see how I got on. So I trained yeah, and yeah. trained through that summer over there. Um, I had to give up. Uh, I gave up a job back here in New Zealand and told my family to be patient with me. This will only happen for another couple of years, <laughs> another couple of years and then we'll move on from it. And uh, I went and trained and um, played and got to the IIC, uh, pitted myself up against some of the best teams. Right at that time, there was um, teams like Patsy's, which had Folkard, they North America, and they had Brad, and they had Jarrett, and they had yeah. Thomas Markia, they had Ratu, they had a whole bunch of guys from New Zealand, and then it was stacked with them. Americans and there was some good Canadian teams out as well, and um, I ended up uh, doing really well in uh, the IC, and I made an all world team uh, uh, and pitched a few uh, good games. And I thought, right, I'm, then I can do it. I, I was convinced I, I'm good enough because I was also checking the the, um, the the climate to see what everyone else was like, and so. I came back, and that was where my prep was done, Chopper. I did it in North America that year. I maintained it through the, uh, the summer back in New Zealand, and then we went on tour. And um, I was able to maintain it for another eight months, and that got me through to to the end of the World Series. So, yeah, it was very calculated. It wasn't uh, it wasn't something that I just threw, threw uh, your rocks at and didn't give it respect, and I've always had respect for how hard it is to play this game and, and put the work in. So, yeah, that's how I prepared. Uh, yeah, no secret other than hard work from me. Nice. We've got a video here of uh, 2009, mate. You're late in the tournament by this point, and uh, boy, oh, boy, man, did you put together a bunch of fine performances that uh, – and as I said, New Zealand needed you, and you definitely answered the call. So having lost to the Aussies in the playoff crossovers, the Black Sox then went on to play the USA again. It was not to be the 15-0 drubbing that the Kiwis had inflicted on the US in their opening match of the tournament. This was to be a better and more determined US side. Searching, had a few uh, honest words from Ed and within the team. So uh, today I was back against the wall because if we came 
like that today, we wouldn't have been we wouldn't be here tonight. Boys have um, just knuckled down and just come out to win. And that's it. No more lives anymore. So we just got to win to survive to the next day. So the Black Sox knocked over the US again and stayed well and truly in the hunt at the 2009 World Champs. Big day tomorrow, two games. So yeah, we're just coming out and just going to win. It's while we play, man, the biggest trophies are the hardest ones to get, you know, and yes, we're successful, but the teams are getting better, but we know how to win, and we have won. The other teams still... Marty, you look at that and the performances that you put together at the age of 43 at the top of the top, the WBC World Cup, then how does it make you feel? Um, it was cool to be there. Um, I had the family over there with us, um, had some good close friends, and I was with my mates again. And, that, and, you, and you don't, um, it's harder to get out of that environment than to get in, to, to be honest, Chopper. Uh, it's harder to get out of that team if you deliver every time you show up. And I guess my um, my ability to, to perform for them meant that they were comfortable with me and I was comfortable with them and we, and we were just doing our best. And, and yeah, that was, a, that was it. And how did it make me feel? I was tired. I'll tell you that. I was tired because it, <laughs> <laughs> it was hard work. That last couple of days, um, uh, I think I, I pitched in relief against Japan and then I had the US and then I had Canada. And, you know, that was like in two days. I think we had yeah, Japan. USA, Canada, and then then we had the final against Aussie, and that was when, um, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to, to deliver in that one. But um, yeah, I was, I was tired, but it, it was it was uh, um, it was comforting to know that uh, you'd you'd uh, put that work in the couple of years beforehand to get ready, and you've been able to deliver. And yeah, we wanted to win. Um, but there was some other stuff that was happening in the on the Australian pitching mound that we had no control over, and and that stuff was um, quite dominant. And we we had young pitchers too. I think that was Heine and Jeremy's first uh, world championship. They uh, uh, and they had got, would go on to get better from there on. You know, both of them to have some better performances in the future. Yep, but they. Um, I think they learned from that there that it took a bit more to get ready. And um, I think um, I did also did my job by um, delivering what I, what I was asked to do and what I said I was going to do. And then the, the, they were willing to step up the next time it came around. And it got um, it got tough at the, the World Series, the next one in, in Auckland, right, where, where they came back and, yeah. and won. So, you know, uh, things happen for a reason. And it was, uh, it was, I guess, yep. not our time at that stage. And yeah, yeah, uh, I was very fortunate to end my international career being in a final, you know, so, or being involved with the team that was in a final. So, yeah, comforted. I had, had my family there, which was very cool, and with some great people, you know, some great people, great softball community, and they, they're the, the same people that I've been hanging around with for quite some time. And we just wanted to, to have fun together, and we didn't get the win. And that was that was all it was, really. Well, Marty, um, I know I can only speak on behalf of myself, man, but uh, I remember that 2009 and the work you did to, one, to get ready, and two, to get us to the final. 
was Herculean. It just was simply inspirational, man. And, um, you know, from the bottom of my heart, bro, I just thank you for that big time. Mm. Cheers. Cheers, Jobber. So let's try and lighten it up a little bit. Uh, Damien, we've got a couple of questions from our viewers uh, for Marty. What you got? Uh, the first one, I'm not going to name names, but um, rhymes with Nathan into Nukunuku. Uh, he wants to know, <laughs> he wants to know, um, is it true that Wayne Laulu has to put a safety pin around his hat uh, after putting on your hat? Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a few uh, famous um, stories in in the softball community about the size of heads, <laughs> and, and Nathan was one to bring it up quite regularly. And um, my understanding is that if we were to have a podium for the three biggest heads in the history of um, Black Sox softball in modern era, um, I'd be on the podium but I'll be up there with Wayne Laulu and Mark Sorensen. Now, we, there's a little bit of debate as to who gets gold, who gets bronze, and who gets silver. But I, I'd say that the gold would go to uh, the skipper, Mr. Sorensen, uh, and then Laulu and I would be close. We'd probably share the silver and bronze. Fantastic. Yeah, that's how it works. Nice. Uh, we had one, uh, how'd you get the name Wa? but we've already talked about that one. Uh, what was the name of the club uh, you, that you played out for in Prescott? And also, did you enjoy uh, playing at Dakota Pride? Yeah, so I, I, I played for uh, a team called the Prescott Mustangs. We were we were just a new team. I think they they uh, had a they survived for about four years, three or four years. The Keller family were in charge of putting that together. Um, yeah, that was a, a great place to be with my first year. Decatur Pride, um, I, I, I'll speak of them because it's uh, been a, a, a big part of my um, my softball career. I, I went there in 1990 uh, after being uh, playing. I played an all-car in Wisconsin, uh, Green Bay, uh, the year earlier. And I remember uh, getting recruited by the Decatur Pride and um, – I like to tell the story. It's interesting that I um, we were at uh, the ASAs in 1989, and I got a, a phone call from the um, the president of the Decatur Pride uh, Booster Club, and he said, oh, "Marty, would you like to come and um, I'd like to uh, to come over to meet with me. I'd, I'd like to talk to you about your future." And um, I went over to the motel where they were staying, and he opened up the door of his motel room and invited me in and they had this um, life-size photograph of me in a, in a uniform um, and they'd put it up in the middle of the hall uh, in, the, in their room and they said, oh, this is the guy that we want to uh, have pitching for us in the middle of our field next year. Uh, what do you think about that? And so they were very professional in their approach. It's the first time I'd ever had anyone deliver the, the message like that. Um, it was uh, flattering, obviously, and uh, and it was very it's something that, and they delivered, they looked after me, and I was there for a total of five seasons uh, and had some of the greatest times here, good people and um, great fans, great community, a tough tape place to play if you're visiting from out of town uh, because they know the game, but... Um, most enjoyable and some really good friends that I 
that I respect and still uh, have a lot to do with uh, contact with um, uh, going back into the mid-90s. So Decatur Pride was one of, one of my favourite places to play. Fantastic. Uh, we've had a lot of a lot of people on now um, share their pre-game uh, or things that they must do before a game. Did you guys? Did you have anything that you had to do before big games or any games? Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, you have your um, your favourite underwear that you, you try to wear as much as you can. So that was something that. And that, that came from habits. Chopper, you're laughing, but you know you do. And so you always wear those. And the ones that are going to bring you the best success. Um, I had, um, I made sure I put my left sock on before my right sock. That might Ooh, sound another a one bit chop. stupid, but it's true. I did that. Uh, and I had them marked left and right so that I could get it right. So I didn't put the wrong ones on. Um and also, I um, one of the things my pregame ritual, and this was sort of later in my career, is that I um, I had a, a, a training, uh, a warm-up regiment that was a little bit unique, and I used to do running, uh, sprint training, because I, um, I thought that if I knew how to run properly, then I, I could become more athletic. And I, I wasn't a very good runner. Uh, and, and apparently I used to look like a, an ice skater when I ran when I was younger. And so I actually got taught how to run and he showed me these um, uh, running drills and I incorporated that into every pregame warm-up that I used to do. And so um, it's, one of the things that used to do for me was it was warm me up, obviously, but it also gave me confidence because I was out there and I was sprinting and I used to know that other teams used to watch the other teams, they'd say, oh, shit, what's he doing? And, and I'd run and run and run. It'd take me about 25 minutes to half an hour to do my running before I'd start my pitching. And the guy's guy's crazy. He's going to run out of gas. But I never did. I always had the energy still in me. And it was through my uh, my other stuff, my um, road running and my biking, my swimming, that I was able to be able to do that every training. And, and it became psychological for a me and also I think for others so yeah part of my pre-game that I did probably for the last 10 years of my career I did it before every game every game I regardless of whether it was two or three games in a weekend I'd do it so yeah awesome being referred to as an ice skater, I get baby draft. Um, so I'd, I'd maybe I'd take that for sure. Yeah, Bambi on a frozen yeah. pond, I get told. Yeah, a bit rough. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, mate, um, lots have commented on um, you know, your, the great pitches that you had. But what was your favourite? What was your go-to? My go-to pitch. Yeah, I threw a rise ball. Um, That's what everyone said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just thought and, I'd um, ask what your favourite was. Well, my favourite. Uh, my favourite was uh, um, oh, shivers. I wish I had a change up that would, that would complement my uh, my low rise. But my low rise. I used to throw a low rise ball, uh, Damien. That was um, a little bit unique. I, I've been told that my arms were extra long, and you could get them a little bit close to the ground when you did your delivery. And because of that, the ball started low, and it would start at your bootlaces and end up on your knees. And that's the strike in my book and um, yeah if you're if you're expecting it to come uh, as a hitter uh, you could sit on that and hit that thing quite hard but yeah that was the most fun it was a it was a unique pitch we used to call it we used to 
but you knee up on them when they're not looking. And so it was, it was the, the low rise ball. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's it for them. Uh, you got I, I got one here, Damien. Uh, Jim Flanagan from Bullpup Broadcasting and Fast Pitch West in LA. Uh, he makes a comment about when you were inducted into the um, Softball New Zealand Hall of Fame back in uh, 95, I think it was, off the top of my head. He said he first saw you pitch at the 1989 IC tournament. It was in Kim- Kimberley, Wisconsin. It was his first world tournament as a player. Uh, he, he said you were a youngster then, having just arrived from New Zealand and pitching for one of the local favourites, All Car, of Wisconsin. Marty, not only a great talent, but a great poise to go with it at such a young age. So I guess the question was that, but one, did you feel that way when you were pitching? And two, um, man, what was it like to be inducted into the Sopo New Zealand Hall of Fame? Yeah, so... Um I'll go back to that '89 um, tournament, which Jim speaks of. Is that we we uh, we were the, one of the local hosts, and uh, I was playing in, in all car, and we had Glenn Davis, who you remember, who's was a big part of my career. Um, I played with him for several years, and he was a, a great teammate uh, and a, and a better. Uh, he was a good teammate at PK, right? Yeah, he was his teammate at PK and a teammate in, in Green Bay, and he played with me in Decatur. Uh, and um, and we played together in Wellington, and and he was a mate actually, and he he was even a better coach and even a better motivator. And so we were uh, in that team in, in Green Bay, and I remember coming up against the other, other a local team, which was a team called the Farm, and they had Mike Pietnik on their team. Uh, so you would have heard of him; he's a left-handed pitcher out of uh, Victoria. British Columbia, and so we ended up getting locked in a 19-inning game that uh, tournament. So I was 21, and I think he was 25, and we, we went 19 innings. I think it was like five hour a five-hour game. Um, I think uh, what happened is that I ended up losing um, in the 19th, but um, we played some really good teams that year, and um, I beat Decatur Pride that year and to knock them out of the tournament. And um, I guess that was when I, I was given an opportunity to compete in, at, at a, a high level uh, over there in North America. And, and I beat, I guess, the, the ace on, on us. Well, and you got the big games and the big tournaments. And yeah, so did I, what did I feel about getting inducted into the Hall of Fame? Um, softball. It, it, Which was 2015, it, I should just give Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2015. Right. Yeah. So, um, Oh, it was a very humbling moment. Um, I also went in there the same time as one of my good teammates, Thomas Markier, uh, and and he uh, and I uh, got to be a part of the um, celebration. Uh, it was uh, humbling because um, you don't you don't do it for for those uh, accolades, and then you go back and you look at all the other people that have been included in there, and you think shivers. Um, this is recognition and competing. Uh, I'm being compared with um, those people. And you think of people like Dennis Chain, Kevin Hurley, Michael White, uh, uh, Chubb. And and you then, uh, I guess, get an opportunity to reflect and remind yourselves of, of what you had done. And uh, similar to today, I guess, Chubb, you don't get a chance to... Um, I don't get a chance to talk softball down here in, 
little old Nelson. Um, <laughs> well, I, I don't need to do it in, in many parts of the, the, the country uh, at any time and haven't for a long time talked like this about our, our sport and the game. And so it's a, it was very humbling and it still is. And oh, I'm proud that I could, um, I guess, say that I've gone through and I did my apprenticeship and then I, I guess I get you, you get your master's builder's degree or something like that if you or something like that. And so I've been acknowledged as someone that actually knew what they were doing. So I'm pretty fortunate and grateful for it. Uh, that's awesome, but there's a bunch of other comments here. I'll just grab a couple more for you. One from an old uh, old opponent of yours, Steve Grace. He said, you're a legend of our sport, buddy. We had some great battles, PKV Cardinals. Gracie. Yes, it was. I'll tell you what, that was that was the that was bread and butter for us uh, in the years. Chopper playing in, in um, the Wellington Hutt Valley competition and yeah, you you um, you probably ought to there in Rotorua then still maybe or a plan, but that Hutt Valley competition and the Wellington competition uh, combined was fierce. And uh, I remember Jimmy talking about it in his um, in his uh, broadcast with you guys recently that how how much softball you used to play. I remember um, playing against Cardinals and uh, we played them like twelve times in one season. Uh, this was PK. We had to face Cardinals 12 times in one season. And that meant that Mark Sorensen had about 40 to 50 at-bats against you in one season. And I think he hit 20 bombs off me one year, 20 home runs off me one year. <laughs> wow. And, and that, I'm, I'm serious. And I, I'm not taking away from the fact that he was a very good hitter, but that's still too many. Um, but it was like we were, we were playing – and then we were battling every week, every week and every week out, and we'd play in the local competition. And Cardinals, and you know, Gracie, he was a fierce competitor, and that Cardinals club um, used to bring it to PK, and PK used to take it to them, and it was it was what um, made, I guess, our softball what it was right through that those nineties um, and two thousands too. Made it made it tough, and you had to be you had to be good to to step up. Ah, very cool, man. There's a lot of well wishes here. Judy Tutu, um, Kelly Benson, Harry Henline, one of the best ever. Uh, I don't have any questions. He did it all. I mean, man, you've got so many fans out there. But I've got a good one here. Dennis uh, Wiersma, uh, nice, mate. I hope you talk about our suburbs days. Best wishes yeah. to your family. Yeah, so that was, that was when I first went to Christchurch. Dennis Wiersma was one of my um, teammates. He took me under his wing and I uh, – uh, you you meet a lot of characters as you go through your sporting careers, and he would have been uh, one of the best characters I ever met. He was um he was a a very confident man, and he taught me how to to uh, to be confident because I did I was a pretty shy and bit of an introvert as a youngster, chopper, and um, you play with these guys that ha- have belief in themselves, and that stuff rubs off and and, and Wes was a, a very confident uh, softballer and he taught me a lot of stuff and it was about believing in yourself and giving it a crack and uh, I thank him for that and uh, I look forward to seeing him again soon. Uh, awesome, but um, a lot of people, as, as Damien said, Andy McCall from Australia, one of the best lifters in the game and lots of other people as well, wishes. Got a couple left here. Um, Ken Stevens. From back, he said, I love watching Marty uh, Grant play when I was living in Blenheim. 
uh, and we had games over the hill in Nelson. It was awesome. He coached our team. We played against uh, when I pitched for the Blenheim Saints. Yeah, so um, yeah, so obviously there was there was a lot of softball here in, in New Zealand and uh, and in Nelson, and I, I never forgot where I came from. So when I was based back here and playing back here, I did do uh, a lot of coaching here in Nelson and. We used to travel to Blenheim, uh, a great uh, softball province in itself. And I, I know going over there, that, that there was a rivalry between the two provinces. And yeah, I think there still is. And you know, there's still um, a competitive spirit in, in the sport. And uh, it was uh, it's interesting how the game's developing uh, in the region now. And I, I hope to see it... Um, Improve, and there's a lot, to, a lot to be said about coaching, eh? Which I've been involved in now too, Chopper. For yeah, uh, I remember coaching my first team in my uh, my first ever team that I coached was actually a Marlborough team. I was 14 years old, uh, and I, I I was too old to make the under 14s. The Marlborough under 14 team came to Nelson for uh, for the Seddon Shield, which was the top of the South, where they played Buller, the West Coast, and Nelson. And I, uh, I coached that un- Marlborough under-14 team, and Jamie Joseph was the pitcher. So I was coaching, one, and he's my cousin, so I was one of my cousin's coach oh, wow. at the age of 14. He was thir- he was 13, I was 14, and uh, coached, yeah, the Marlborough under-14s, my first gig ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who got yeah, the playing rights that week? Uh, um I think Nelson won that week. Uh, Nelson won. They had a pretty good team too. Right? But um, yeah, we're, yeah, my coaching career started then. And um, interesting, eh? Hey, the love of the sport. It's, it sure is, bud. Um, look, I, I, we've we've had you for such a long period of time. I'll just go with one more question here, bud, and let you cause, because I want to give you a chance. You've spent enough time recently putting some energy and helping out the other diamond code sport in this country. And it was a good question here from Tom uh, Lesnay says an ace in the circle and an even better guy. Uh, I would love to ask him about his involvement in growing baseball in New Zealand, dude. How have you enjoyed the basement, uh, the baseball hikoi so far? I um I I have um, been able to to um, I guess stay involved in coaching my son. I've got a uh, a seventeen year old son now that plays baseball, and my my desire to um, to transfer over to coach baseball came about because he wanted to play. So um, we, that was about I guess doing something for your family after them committing and sacrificing yep. themselves for me. So, um, so I, I gave him the opportunity. Uh, oh, we we played both codes for a while, and it was fun. But uh, having a softball environment and a, and a baseball environment uh, that that stopped uh, three years ago, where we couldn't do both. So, um, I've uh, really put some energy into trying to to uh, help him. And then also with, with that in mind, you uh, help the code itself. So we've developed a, a program here, uh, a club here in Nelson. Um, and we've got uh, some really good people uh, that are involved. We've, we've got uh, some facilities that we are utilising down here. We've got uh, 
uh, equipment that we've been able to uh, procure, and we're also uh, got some good teachings, and we've got some coaches that are coming through the ranks too. So, um, I'm I'm just delivering it on grassroots level. Chopper, I, I had a choice whether I was going to move uh, when my son was 12 or stay here and try and do it here. I wanted to stay, and so did my wife. So, we're delivering um, the sport here in Nelson, and it's going well. It's uh, it's really enjoyable. Um, we're having a little bit of success as far as results-wise, but we're also developing, um, I guess, something that I, I learned from my years with softball is about creating a good community, uh, yep. uh, enjoying what you do and doing what you enjoy, uh, and making sure the environment is right, and we're delivering a product. We're trying to deliver a product that people uh, are willing to be involved in and commit to, and uh, Hey, if, I, if my son had told me, Dad, I want to be a volleyball player, I'd probably be coaching volleyball, to be honest, Chopper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have had as much luck or success with that because I, I, I don't know much about that sport, but I, I, I believe it was about, um, yeah, getting the right people involved and, and committing to it. So, well, yeah. Um, what, what do I see happening? I'm, uh, we're, uh, we've only got... Um, a certain amount of time in our lives uh, to to do things in, in your sporting career, and some of us can't commit to it a, a crazy length of time like um, some may have. When I talk about myself, I guess where I, I stretch it out a little bit long at the end. So you do what you want, eh? And you do it when you can. And uh, I'm, I'm giving my, my son the chance to do that, and I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. And we'll, we'll see how it goes for him. Um, Unfortunately, I don't get to play softball anymore or be involved in softball, but but that that's um, I guess uh, my choice and something that I have to decide is going to um, sacrifice. And I'm been used to making sacrifices in the past, and that's what you got to do. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough, yeah, Hall, yeah. fair enough. And, yeah. and good on you, man. We wish uh, Cooper the best of luck and uh, fingers crossed uh, he can get that uh, baseball scholarship next year. Uh, interesting story, Damien. I uh, met Cooper for one of the first times. Uh, it was 2013 um, in Rosedale when we were um, defending the, um, the title. No, sorry, trying to win the title. And um, Marty brought Cooper up for the week and I got to meet this kid, man. Bundle of joy. Character. I could tell then he was going to be a baller. Mm-hmm. Whether it was going to be softball, baseball, rugby, whatever, I knew he was going to be good, man. And and uh, I think he came back up. He might have made like a, an under 15 South Island team or something like that in a, in a, in a uh, game we had or whatever the case was. But uh, yeah, we're, we're keen to, to, uh, to support him. We wish him the best of luck and you, bud, uh, in coaching him. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, he's going to—he's going to be better off when he gets away from his father's coaching <laughs> and, and gets into an environment as a as someone that knows what they're talking about. But until then, I, I'll provide him with a little bit of drive, and I'll give him opportunity. And so that's all we can do eh, at this stage. And yeah, and he's uh, hes um, very respectful of the code. And um, and I guess one of the things too is that uh, I'm hoping that. Uh, through uh, his father's learnings and his, uh, uh, I guess, his experience that he might be able to take some of that stuff and help him in his career, whatever he may want to do. 
Ah, fantastic, brother. Oh, that's awesome. Again, man, uh, this has been a nice long one. To be fair, it was always going to be long, Marty. Your, your <laughs> career is, um, you know, so long, so storied. Uh, and what you've been able to do with this great game. Your preparation probably tells the story from the get-go, what you did to get yourself in the shape needed, in the condition needed, to not only perform, but for your teammates to respect your performance. I think that's the big thing. And then the results were always going to come, bud. So thank you so much for taking the time uh, here with Damien and I and Beyond the Dugan. Hey, thank you very much, Chopper. Thank you, Damien. And it's, it's been a pleasure. And... Um, to all the, the uh, softball community out there, thank you too for your contribution. Those of you that have been involved in my career, I'm very grateful. And uh, uh, if we don't get a chance to uh, talk, um, I'm trying. To, I'm going to try and head to um, Quad Cities in uh, Iowa next year because Travis Wilson's offered a beer if anyone wants to go and watch him get inducted into the ISC Hall of Fame. So I'm going to try and make a trip over in sometime in the future. It's to watch my son play baseball or to, to go to what I see. I plan on doing that, and we'll see you around. Nice. Very, very cool. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. A, a Tania Tour is the way I started this podcast. That is a male warrior here in New Zealand, and that's the way he played the game. Simply four national championships for Wellington, five national championships for his club side, Punike Kalbuni. That's out of Wellington as well. Three times New Zealand Pitcher of the Year. 1991 New Zealand Player of the Year. That just caps the top of it. Two IC uh, All World nominations. One IC title for the Smokers back in the '96. Three All American for the ASAs. Two titles for the ASAs, and those three gold medals around his neck proudly. He has won for our country at those World Cups. We are just so lucky. It goes with the two silvers as well that what Marty Grant has done for us in 19 years, and I saved the best to last. Listen to that is what I was saying before about his pitching pedigree. Well, guess what? He only won once on the hill for New Zealand. A 0.93 ERA. That's his career stats. Marty Grant's a Hall of Famer, and he's a legend. his job. So you don't know about you, man, but listening, I could listen to Marty all night long. Yeah, absolutely. I think we didn't even touch on a lot of stuff. Uh, I enjoyed that, mate. I enjoyed um, seeing somebody uh, recall stories that probably doesn't get to say them as much as he probably wants to or gets a chance to. Um, but just the emotion and, and the happiness of sharing those stories. You know, we, we touched on the intro of, of the nickname Wah and, and how he wears his heart on his sleeve. I know you guys, and I've mentioned this so many times, but, you know, seeing these emotions out of these out of these people remembering this history um, is just special. And, and just seeing how much it meant to Marty during this episode was just very cool. I love how, and it was similar with Jimmy Wana, how these elite pitchers have mastered 
the craft, the art of pitching, and respect it so, so much. I mean, when he credits one of his uh, most memorable moments going through his career, losing in 92 to Canada uh, in Manila, when he came in, he wasn't ready to pitch in, in the innings he came in. And he was learned his lesson. He'll never do that again. He ended up becoming one of the most prepared pitchers New Zealand's ever seen. I think it's a true testament to the old school and, and the journeys that people uh, probably once upon a time lived a bit more is those um, being knocked back and, and getting up and going again, you know, um, finishing second and, and wanting to finish first the next time, you know, so it was definitely one of those experiences and, you know, as I mentioned in the, in the intro, the winning the no-hitter wasn't even at the top of the list for him, so for this to just shows shows the true character of, of someone in those positions and it just shows I hope everybody um, gets a lesson out of uh, listening to the podcast because these elite Hall of Famer type people you know they're just resilience and, and the way they work through things and just bounce back is just just awesome it is indeed dude ask them how would we like to be remembered well that my teammates knew what they were going to get yeah. so he was going to be consistent for them he was going to give them every time the best of Marty Grant. Oh, and give everything as well. That dog mentality, just go out and give everything that you've got. Um, go until you've been asked to go no more or can't go no more. And um, yeah, def- definitely that um, Marty Grant mentality. Is indeed one thing I didn't touch on in the in the podcast, but uh, he did tell us afterwards, got to credit first person to him as Rise Ball, which is his signature pitch, as you know, was his brother, Ricky. Yeah, it's um, always good. To, uh, it just sopples one of those family games, eh? And we've had a few boys come on here and go, um, you know, their lengthy careers, but go, the bro taught me this, or the bro's better me, better at me than that. So, um, no, I just, I love how deep it, the sport goes and, and how family inspiration is, is behind a lot of these people. And um, I'm definitely going to gonna work on the rice ball after talking to Marty. <laughs> Uh, indeed. Hey, dude, um, coming up next week, we have got, luckily for us, had to go a long way to find this lady, uh, but uh, just the newly announced last week, softballer of the year, Tanisha Hakamo. Tiny! Yeah, no, nah, stoked. And, um, you know, uh, t- I, yeah, I hope you can find her, mate. I know um, it's a big place, Auckland. I, I, I hope we can track her down and get this underway. Um, and I know you'll, you'll, we'll both prompt her and getting getting more things out of her and um, hopefully some secrets on other people's. But um, <laughs> it's going to be a cool one. Tiny's, uh, Tiny's a, a, a very cool, cool person in this game and um, she gives one of the best hugs, sober or drunk. And um, nah, looking forward to it. Uh, she, she is indeed a tiny and a joke on that she's uh, in, in my bubble here in Auckland so she's staying with us so we had a chance to sit down with her together and it'll be interesting she's not one to sit down and do these things um, so it's kind of putting her out of her comfort zone but it's something she's willing to challenge herself I'll tell you one thing you won't know we all know how great a softball player Tiny is and how strong a softball player um, she is and deservedly of winning female athlete and softball of the year um, from softball New Zealand but she is intelligent, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, she she, she holds herself well, mate. She's uh, quick-witted. And, um, oh, yeah. And she's, uh, yeah, a student of the game as well. So, um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to 
dissecting that brain of hers and, and talking ball with her. It's going to be cool. Well, you'll get to find out in, in next week's podcast with Tanisha Hakamo. She went to the university in the States on a scholarship uh, to play so- play rugby, actually. She got to play softball while she was there. Um, but she's now doing another degree at Auckland University started this year. Man, she's going to be one of the top biochemists uh, in New Zealand, I guarantee you, when she's all said and done with her uh, education. But, uh, yeah, be interesting to touch on that side of that things. How does it help her in her game uh, and mentality? Or or is there a trade-off both ways? Does softball help her with her studies? Or is there a way we can get her to Wellington to play for Hutt Valley? No? Okay. Have you heard of Tortora Park? Yeah. Yeah, come on. I've signed up Madison <laughs> Gerbys as well. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So Tanisha Hagamo should be uh, episode uh, next week. Uh, Too but- bloody good. Speaking of uh, Madison Gerbys, mate, isn't it Father's Day this weekend? It is indeed. Yeah. Well, happy Father's Day, mate. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks a lot, buddy. Oh, I tell you what, a perfect idea for Madison to give me for Father's Day. What you- dug out cap and some stubby holders. Don't you already have one, though? That was part of the part of the perks of doing this thing wasn't it getting the free merch good but, point but if I didn't have one ah, what are they worth this week one. and how would I get them does Jim have one have you bought one for Jim yet of course I did yeah, he was you. first on the list yeah, my man okay yeah no if you want we've got a Father's Day special so one cap and postage so the cap thirty nine ninety nine down from 50 plus postage will around about forty nine ninety eight. so you're saving on postage but yeah, stubby holders, usually $5. We're going to do them three for 10. So get in the orders, get them for dad or yourself. Who cares? And uh, represent Beyond the Dugout. Father's Day special. Get yourself a Beyond the Dugout cap. Ballers cap too, my dad. Oh, yeah. McCoy and, uh, we didn't just get uh, any old cap, mate. Just message the page uh, or put a comment below. Whatever you like. Damien's really good at picking up that stuff. Oh, we already sold one this morning. Uh, Paolo... My man, um, uh, I can't wait for him to uh, get his cap on uh, with his stubby holders and a nice little Heineken in there and take a selfie with one of his uh, yeah. fantastic cameras. Man. Absolutely. I'll be setting up the tripod in the timer for that one for sure. But yeah, uh, yeah always appreciate the support, my man. Um, and especially after last week, uh, giving you kudos about that big, uh, mentic, uh, iconic shot from, of Donnie's home run. Indeed, indeed. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That was Marty Grant's episode, episode 21 on Beyond the Dugout here. A very pleasant good evening to you on behalf of Damien Collins and AKA Chopper. Wait a minute, Damien's <laughs> got one more Jim Beam. Just light in. Damien Collins, AKA Chopper. That's what you just said. <laughs> and I'm the one drinking. <laughs> well, look at that. You got an upgrade. How about that? Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you all next week. Kaki see you. Too. Happy Father's Day, all. And especially the mums that are fathers. Thanks, mum, for teaching me how to throw. <laughs> Be on the dugout, lace them up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Do it for your teammates, do it for the fam Do it for your city, true ballers understand You gotta work together, you gotta find a way Put your body on the line and make that play Be on the dugout, lace them up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Be on the dugout be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout.